So today what we're going to be doing is, well, first and foremost, we had a, um, a comment come through in one of our comment sections. And, you know, I, I've always asked, or I've been asking, right, <clears throat> if anybody has like any difference of an opinion, you know, tell us what it is that you're thinking and um, we'll go over it. We'll discuss it. And somebody did come through and, um, you know, came through with something that a bit, a bit of a comment. So I think we should uh, kind of go through it. We'll read it. I want to I want to get your your information or what your opinions and thoughts are big blue on it. And we'll break it down piece by piece. Um, I'm not going to say who it's from or anything like that. I'm not, we're not here to you know, insult anybody or anything like that. So let's, um, without further ado, let's pull this up real quick. No oh, wrong one. <laughs> Sorry. Blue. Uh, okay. This is respectfully. And I'm going to, I'm going to put everything because they did get a little bit, you know, kind of close to that disrespectful spot, but it's okay. Uh, respectfully, I think your audience, I think the audience you have developed in recent months now mostly includes those who have been ready to put Brian in front of the firing squad. From the very beginning, prior to uh, to you jump to the guilty bandwagon. And I'm also going to say we're going to take phone calls in the second half of the show. Um, I frequently watched your channel to hear honest updates and discussions on guilt or innocence, but not so much afterwards. So a pool of guilt, man, this is on the opposite side of me. Hold on. A pool of guilt or innocence at this point will most likely be uh, the guilty persua uh, per persuasion. And defense has had an unorganized and chaotic dump of well over a million documents, videos, and pictures, uh, which recently, which they have had the request to at least 10 times over the past year. Of course, their small team at a public defender's office cannot get through that by the summer, in addition to the 300 interviews. All right, so let's stop it right there, and then we'll break down the rest of it. Um, well over a million documents. I haven't heard that. Um, I will say that that's something that's new to me. I'm not sure where that is from. Um, and there. I think they're going by the defense explaining how many uh, documents could be in the terabytes right of the information oh okay so it, it, it's not necessarily a million ten you know a million documents right uh, but i don't think so at least i would hope not the way the defense explained it, it's like could be over a million documents with the 51 terabytes there could be i don't know how many hours they explained that it could be videos and it's only two of us to watch it or right. the defense team right no i understand that um well yeah no but this says 10 you know over a million documents videos and pictures so yeah you're probably right there um that has requested over 10 times over the past year now when it comes to the request stuff what they've been requesting from my understanding has been the stuff from the igg they wanted to know the names of the people who are related to brian koberger that led to him being prime suspect number one uh is that is that not correct yeah they want to see who they were able to track them from right and so that information isn't isn't being used against brian Coburg. and i know this kind of sounds like a broken record but you know if you go look at the warrants any of the warrants all of the warrants never in their warrant does it say anything about an igg all right. If you go look at his arrest warrant, 
the probable cause, you know, uh, well, the arrest warrant. It, I don't think we can see the arrest warrant. But if you go and look at the search warrants and all the other warrants that you can see, uh, it's not in there. And the reason being is because they're not using it against him. You know, they're not using it in court. Right. So they're asking for information that neither excludes him because, well, the IgG, what it did was basically point in a direction and say, this is the person who most likely is the person that left the DNA on the sheath. Not that it is because they don't do a one for one comparison. They're just doing they're, they're just getting the DNA that they have and then looking at the person that's most likely. Now, most likely ain't going to get anybody arrested or a warrant or any of those things. Right. And so um, they have to go in there, conduct their own investigation. And then from that investigation, uh, based on what they can get is how they pull and determine you know, what they're going to get in the warrants. And, and we see that in the um, search warrants for his phone pings and this and that. None of it ever says IgG. You know, what people are getting confused is the familial DNA, which is the father's DNA that they pulled out of the trash. That is completely different than the IgG. You know, I think that some folks are getting that confused. It's, it's not the same thing. That was used to get warrants, to get arrests, to get searches. And that is in, in those documents, right? Um. Now, they, she says that their small team of public defenders cannot get through that by the summer, in addition to the 300 interviews. I believe she said 400 witnesses. And the, the, I do kind of agree that that would be a tall task. I think their team is a little bit larger than just two individuals. Um, you know, when you look at the paralegals and, and the other staff members they may have uh, working with them that are going to go through documents and things of that nature. Um, do you think that it is an ample amount of time? I mean, I, I think that there's been other cases where multiple victims uh, lives have been taken and they have trial within that amount of time. Blue, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think summer would be enough time. Yeah. Um, I would have, have thought to so too. You know, They have a lot of videos and, and, you know, I think what they're saying is like all the 9,000 tips and they have to go through all that stuff too. It's going to take some time, but they've had about a, I want to say nine months to work on it. Yeah. What have they been doing for nine months? Exactly. You know, they said that they were ready to go a while ago, right? Everybody harps on on what the prosecution says or law enforcement says. And Taylor said that they were ready months ago. Now they're not. What does that tell you? If they were ready months ago and now they're not ready. So it's, it's a stall, right? If you take everything that they say worth gold, right? If you're taking everything that Ann says as 100% fact, right? If you go and do that, then that means that they were ready to go back, back when they said they were, uh, that how could she have done that? And ain't that perjury? Isn't that lying? So that's an example of, you know, these attorneys kind of stretching the truth a little bit. 
You know what I mean? And I think people need to be leery of that, that just because somebody says something in court doesn't mean it's 100 percent accurate or in these court documents when it comes to um, when it comes to their description of what the evidence could be at this point. All right. Now, if somebody comes in and says that, you know, scientific fact, this is what the evidence is. Yeah. But the explanation of what that evidence is right now is going to be biased. It's going to be one sided. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so let's continue this real quick. <clears throat> uh, don't give it to them uh, time to adequately defend him. If Brian did this, his name would never have to come have come to up. I think they said I think they meant if Brian did this, his name would have never come up. So just because he got caught means he couldn't have done it. Now, had he not gone caught, then he, he it could have been him. His education uh, is in this very thing, law enforcement. Now, Big Blue, how many law enforcement officers or folks in law enforcement or lawyers have done something that they shouldn't have done or done the ultimate crime? A lot. A lot. You can see that some of them get prosecuted for all their errors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't think just the mere fact of his position is a, is an, is evidence of, of innocence. You know what I mean? His study isn't an, isn't a, is an evidence of innocence. In fact, I think it's to the contrary. You know, when you look at the actions that he took from a hundred feet away from a big picture, it definitely does appear that he's using his experience and knowledge on how investigations work to try to elude said investigation that was going up against him. All right. So um, let's continue. Uh, law enforcement knew all about Brian because he had applied to work with them. So I, I'm assuming there, this person is thinking that law enforcement is framing Brian Coburger. The only thing is Brian Coburger did not apply for Moscow Police Department. He applied for Pullman Police Department. So. But the. Do you think that just because he applied for law enforcement that that would that makes him a good fall guy? No, I think his uh, his actions. If they, if they wanted to say, you know, his losing his uh, TA position. Mental status at that point, that would be more of a problem, not just because he applied. Right. I, I I don't understand why his mere application is the or, or you know if you're looking for a fall guy, right? Let's just say you're a police department, right? And you're looking to blame something on somebody. You're going to go to the application list for police officers instead of the criminal records that you have against people in the community who have been, you know, could have been known to have done this. I mean, if you're looking for a fall guy, you know, you have that one guy who, whose life was taken by SWAT before Coburger's name came out and before any of those things, they could have pinned it on, on Kopeka. He, he's passed away. He threatened his roommates. He is going through a PS, uh, PTSD moment. You have excuses for everything to say, 
it was him. Or, or how about the guy who attempted to kill, attempted to murder his wife a couple of days later after the murders with a knife and cut himself that lived about five blocks away, who, oh yeah, was a convicted murderer. Are, are those two guys too, too law-abiding and too, um, you know, out of, uh, not out of the norm? that couldn't have couldn't have fallen better or been a better fall guy than a PhD student. You're going to go and tell me that instead of looking at all of the people you've arrested, you're going to go and look at the people you're trying to hire. Does that, does that make any sense to anybody? Please. If you believe that that is the case, that they rather look at the PhD guy Versus, you know, the guy, the convicted murderer who stabbed himself and attempted to stab his wife a few days later. And then the guy that they also took out um, because he was threatening his roommates. And I don't know the whole backstory. I haven't looked into it, but SWAT went in there and took his life. You know, if if there was something to that situation, right, because the, the thoughts are that, you know, I think there's been theories that, you know, that shooting was. um you know, maybe perhaps a bad shooting. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. I have no idea. But even if it was, don't you think to cover your tail, you would make him look like the guy who committed the quadruple homicide? So that way you're looked as the hero, not the not the villain? You know? So please tell me this. It, 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 who literally, literally thinks that? Yeah, Mitch, you know, Mitch, girl, this might be literally a conspiracy channel, Bigfoot, aliens and UFOs. And it's funny when that is more believable than what you're thinking when it comes to Brian Koberger. So, yeah, it's crazy that the conspiracy guys that believe in Bigfoot can see this better and clearer than than some some people. But I, I digress. But please, are you one Mitch girl that thinks? Um, that law enforcement is is looking at at PhD students applying for police officer positions over over criminals. If there there is a fall guy to go along with this, can, can you let us know? Because I, I I don't think that that makes a lot of logic. Don't make sense. There's zero logic. Blue, what do you think? Do you think that there's a world where that where that is real? By going by the evidence, no. They would have had internal affairs reviewing everything because it was you know, how would they be driving around at that thing? Yeah. Uh, and he said, I'm driving. So he wasn't in fear of his life. No. And, and real quick, Paula says it's not a good comparison, but it is a good comparison because those are people that were literally there in the area and around that time that, you know, everybody looked at as a suspect before Brian Koberger got arrested. Am, am I not, am I wrong in that blue? I mean, I, I don't see how one of them would 
would be part of it at all. No, I'm not saying that they're involved. What I'm saying is <clears throat> if law enforcement was going to pin it on somebody, right? And the, and the goal is just to pin it on anybody, right? Because why? Because Idaho, you know, university needs this to be solved real quick. So they're, 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 you know, they want it to be pinned on anybody. You're going to look past the convicted murderer. You're going to look past the person who, whose life was just taken away for threatening their roommates. And you're going to go to the person who has a P who's going in, in a PhD program has a master's degree and is applying to be a police officer. Yeah. Like that world doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't. It, they, they, um, they probably. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it just doesn't. And those are the facts. Those are the people that were around in that area. Those were the folks that everybody thought was the person that committed this crime or could have committed this crime before Brian Koberger was arrested. You know, those that are so quick to defend. You know, Brent Kopaka, because Brian Koberger has been arrested, were the same people who were almost castrating him, you know, as being the guy uh, before Brian Koberger got arrested. As soon as somebody else became, you know, um, arrested for it and, and things like that, then then, then things kind of changed. You know. So. You guys were all saying it was him until Brian Koberger got arrested. Now, let's continue this. All right, Brian, uh, in the PCA, it does say as seen from the doorway. No, it doesn't. It says when viewed uh, from from the door. And this isn't and this is in reference to the probable cause affidavit when it's talking about where the knife location was. It says that the knife sheath or not the knife, the knife sheath location. It states that the knife sheath was on. Uh, Mogan's right side. And then in parentheses, it said, when viewed from the door, not that the sheath could be viewed from the door, that when you're looking at the scene from the door, it could be seen on Mogan's right side. All right. And so um, no blood trail leading from the home and an eight hour delay uh, would leave some to believe that the killer stayed in the house, cleaned up, staged the crime. Uh, and have had to walk uh, walk to the house since they lived within walking distance and stayed to blend in. So the white Elantra that just so happens to be driving around, it has nothing to do with the crime. Why? Because it's probably Brian Koberger. He just so happened to be driving around. He just so happened to not be driving during the time that the crime was being committed. And he just so happens to be driving out of there at a high rate of speed after the crime is happening. Now, when it comes to what people think about how a person should act, let's go back to something real quick. And he didn't leave uh, their room or whatever room they were in. If they were in the same room, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that either. Um, so I, I, I don't know. But uh, 201, you're on the air. What's going on? Who are we talking to? Two hundred one, you're still there. I think two hundred one dropped off. 
Let's see. We're going to have somebody else coming in. 847, you're on the air. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Oh, my gosh. I got through. I'm so excited. Love your show. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate that. You guys that. are just adorable. Yeah, honestly. You treat everybody so great and with a lot of respect. Oh, um, so um, what I wanted to say is that I, I wanted to give my situation so maybe there's a better understanding of the poor girls. Um, years back, I was involved in a horrific home invasion, a horrific, mm -hmm. um, where the police didn't even believe us. Um, it was me and my fiance and this guy walked in with a gun and a knife and, um, and a mask. And the funny part is I ran into the closet. I had my phone on me and the last thing I thought of was to call 911. So immediately he's like, you better not be calling 911. It didn't even dawn on me. It didn't even dawn on me to go out the back door. Whereas my fiance would have gone out the back door, but he had to follow me. He couldn't leave me behind. Anyway, long story longer. He threatened our lives a thousand times is there over an hour um and he said that if we call 911 his girlfriend's a dispatcher and he'll know and he'll come back and kill us because he has our ids and yada 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 and his brother just got out of jail and he's even worse i mean the threats were like non-stop um so we never called 911 we actually called a friend he came back three times um oh, wow. to check that we weren't tied and bound i mean when i mean bad i mean that he is serving three life sentences um, but, um, point is we never called 911. We did call a friend. We were scared out of our minds. We never went back to the house again, ever. I, I won't even go in that area. And this has been since, um, 2000. Mm -hmm. And, um, it took, we didn't have a court till 2004. So it took four years. So this might take a while. Oh, wow. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Isn't that awful? So, yeah. I mean, it, it affected me so bad. So I really, really feel bad for these girls. I can't even imagine. You know, it still affects me to this day. I have radar behind my head. It's like constantly looking at everybody and never trusting anything. And what I wanted to say is at that point, the last thing on my mind is that I was involved in a home invasion. I didn't even think it was real. I thought it was one of my fiance's friends playing a practical joke on us. And he noticed a knife. When I noticed a guy, I only zoomed in on the blue eyes yeah. coming out of the mask, and I saw the gun. I never saw a knife. So that's why they didn't believe us. So their stories were conflicting. Like, how could I have not seen a knife? Easy. I just didn't. Oh, He's wow. more perceptive. And, yeah, so, you know, it's funny how things work and how you think. Now I'm so much more prepared. Of course I would run out. Of course I would call 911. Of course I would do things so much different. But when it's the first time and you didn't follow true crime and you didn't think about crime and you lived a pretty safe life. You never would assume anything like this could happen to you. That's one. Secondly, I'd like to say that I do believe Brian's a hundred percent guilty. I left that last part there, but um, <laughs> this is a person who went through something very horrific and <laughs> called friends before nine one one had the opportunity to call nine one one during the act. Saw somebody, you know, saw the person and didn't even see the knife. Saw a gun, but not the knife. Now, if we go back and talk about where Dylan was in that moment, you know, it was dark. She was, under, you know, under the influence of alcohol, most likely, you know, drinking the night before. Um, you have, you know, people that go in and out of that house. It's not uncommon. Right. And, you know, you have people that are yelling. I mean, there was uh, JLR was out there and he had put his phone up and you can hear people screaming from all over the place in that neighborhood, like literally screaming. So, 
Um, I, I'm not, you know, trying to make an excuse for her or not. But at the end of the day, a lot of people are, are looking at her and judging her based off of like, what, three sentences in the PCA of numerous statements that she's probably made and numerous statements that she's made and, and probably a lot more than just three sentences. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, no all that rest of the evidence will come out later during the trial. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The jury to see. Exactly. You know, that, that that is true. And, you know, like I said, I mean, we don't know what all that that is yet. You know, I, I don't know what what else she has said. You know what I mean? So, let, yep. let me see. Um, let's go back to. Oh, somebody's calling. We're not taking calls just yet. We're going to be call, taking calls here in a minute. All right. Um, let me pull this back up. All right. So it said here during the first few days uh, as the investigation began and with no DNA analysis yet, they cleared all of those who normally should have been. Uh Begin and with no DNA, declared all of those who normally should have been considered suspects. Now, this person is assuming that they know everything that law enforcement knew, did, and didn't do during those few weeks of an investigation. This person is assuming that everything that the media has and that, you know, uh, us creators put out there is all the information that is there. That is not the case. So, for one, they have no idea when the DNA analysis began. From what I understand, I think this they started um, that day, started getting the evidence, started putting it into CODIS, started doing those things. So immediately, it's not something you sit on, right? You have somebody that just committed a quadruple homicide. If that person is in the system, has committed a crime before, you can take that person off the streets very quickly. That's not something that you say, all right, you know what, let's make it till Monday at 8 o'clock. All right. Because of DM's behavior, I think that her account holds water. I would seem that perhaps drugs were involved. It only takes one or two strategically placed people to accomplish throwing blame on Brian. I think she meant, oh, I don't think her account holds water. Um, okay. It would seem that perhaps drugs were involved. I mean, where, where do you get that there were drugs involved? You know, I know Kim called in and she called in to us. The only thing that we did was verify who she was. You know, her name was Kim. She had a daughter. And her daughter dated somebody that uh, uh, was playing football for the University of Idaho at the same at that time. It's about as much as we can verify. And she said that that was considered a party house in this. You know, we had Dave also come up, who we were able to verify that he was a student at the University of Idaho, but the rest of his claims were unverifiable. There was no receipts or any of those things. And in fact, and I've said this before. That I thought, you know, I found out where he was working at the time and that his shift didn't start until 1130. Not 930, like he had indicated on Sundays. So those things were, you know, they didn't jive. And I've said these things and I've talked about these things before. Yeah. 
but all right let's see so outside of them where where does the drugs really take place uh, because there's a young brunette lady in a in one of the um in one of the videos uh, the body cam videos that uh, she's wearing a, a headpiece and and she kind of looks like emma bailey but it's not the same person they just you know i think there's more than you know one person that wears a headband on their head you know so and even if it was there's no indication there's no evidence there's no proof that they did anything together right so i don't understand where this whole drug thing still keeps going you know if 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 the if this crime was committed by drugs uh, big blue what 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 kind of evidence could you expect to find you know if if this if this was drug related it just depends on if the, they ran dogs through there, if there was any paraphernalia. Yeah. Maybe. Or just, just look at the paraphernalia. You know what? You know, you know what I just thought of? A lot of these guys are saying that, that it's completely different. It just came to my mind, but I don't want to miss it. The same people that say that there was no sign of cleaning agent and there was no DNA in the car, Brian Koberger couldn't have done it, are the same people blaming Dylan and, and Bethany, and somehow they cleaned up the entire house in less amount of time with, le- with less experience. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Blue? I mean... And, and also, bleach dissipates in 24 hours, so if... Brian Koberger used bleach on his car seven weeks later. It's not going to be there. If, you know, Bethany and Dylan used bleach in that house 12 hours later. Is it going to be there? The police would smell the residue of cleaning. Mm -hmm. And if they clean as well as everybody's saying they are, they wouldn't have found so many DNA no samples right so yeah so people are saying that eight hours is a long time plus others were were summoned and it's a long time to call 911 they were they somehow cleaned up the entire thing didn't leave a speck of evidence and yet brian Koberger couldn't have done the same in seven weeks with his car yeah i think you know it's just these crazy theories out there. Yeah, they, they, it's not just crazy theories. It's theories that don't make sense. You know, if they cleaned up the area, there would be evidence of that cleaning. They were there within hours of this happening. You know, it was within the day. They weren't there the next day, the next week, you know, seven weeks later. That day. All right. Now, yeah. I'm leave it at that. They were there that day. And that evidence would have been there that day. Yeah, they, there were no signs of cleaning. Really, I mean, we haven't seen the floors, but we can see to the evidence photos that inside the kitchen there was, you know, evidence of the party the night before. Same full of dishes. You know, you see the takeout food on the counter in the Starbucks cups. I think it was Starbucks or 
living down there. Really tough out there. I know for sure it's Jack in the Box. Yeah, no, there was a bunch of stuff there. Uh, Wayne said, can you, you can remove bloody, fully anything attempted to be cleaned would have lit up like a Christmas tree with forensic search. Right. But you're also assuming that somebody got killed inside of Brian Coverger's car and they were actively bleeding. Nobody was bleeding when Brian Coverger got back in his car. There's a good possibility he wasn't even wearing the same clothes that he was wearing when he was inside the house committing the crime. All right. You know, you can take clothes off and wipe down before getting into a vehicle. Thus, you know, not putting that stuff everywhere, right? Minimizing so, where you have to clean. Somebody would have to do a demonstration video out there. I'm pretty sure somebody has, you know, have somebody attempt Stevie's rules. Paul asked, can if I can explain the lack of DNA in the house? There isn't a lack of DNA in the house. There is... Um, what they had said was there was three unidentified DNA DNA in the house, right? Where the area where the, the bodies were. Then say that there wasn't any other DNA in the house. I was just talking about the specific areas where those bodies supposedly were, where two of them were. One of them was in a yeah. glove outside, right? So n- yeah. never does it say that there wasn't any other DNA in the house from, you know, the kids that were partying the night before. I mean, there was cans, there was bottles, there was the beer pong table that was still full of stuff, the jack-in-the-box bag. There was um, numerous Bud Light Lime bottles uh, across on the on a um, on the um, on the uh, on a white table that was in there, and so numerous amount of DNA that was in that house. They were just referencing the ones, the three that were unknown. You had one inside the glove, and two that were in the area around where the bodies were somewhere. You know, I found it suspicious that they were super specific about where one DNA, you know, piece was, which was inside a glove outside of the house and real vague about the other piece, other than it was just somewhere around where the body was. Now I'll tell you this, if it was DNA found on, you know, the legs, body, hair, face, you know, private areas, uh, Ann Taylor would have definitely brought that up. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. see. The other thing was that what I earlier is like they been showing that demonstration how fast it can take off the Dickies overalls oh, and yeah. booties and gloves. Right? I mean, not only that, like a demonstration of how long it takes to get inside a house and walk up a flight of stairs and come down a flight of stairs, like. You know, people that think that nine or 10, which I think it's 11 minutes that he was in that house. 11 minutes is too, too small of a time, you know, for him to get out and walk into the house. You know, the first thing I ask is, do you think he parked like five miles away? Like how, or a mile away and like jog there? Cause he was, he was doing a six mile jog. You know, did that cover six minutes of that? No, he, he went literally a few feet. All right. Now, once you enter into the building, how many feet and the house was small. How many feet do you think or how many steps do you think it took him to go from the glass door to the end of the uh, kitchen? Probably four. You know, four steps. And, you know, you have probably about eight to ten, you know, stairs up and then turn around another eight to ten. And I'm, I think I'm being generous there. And you're up there. I mean, you're literally there in less than a minute from the time that you exit the door to the time that you're opening the first victim's door upstairs. I mean, All right, let's you see. You could have ran a mile 
Yeah. In that time. Yeah. It says drugs were involved. It only takes one or two strategically placed people to accomplish throwing blame on Brian. No, because how do they, what are they going to do? Where's the DNA coming from? And when did they plant the DNA? We know that the Idaho State lab was there. The Idaho State forensic team was there. There's pictures of them. They collected everything that day. They collected that knife sheath. That knife sheath went to the Idaho State lab where it was, where the DNA was entered, you know, was discovered. The STR profile was created. And that profile was entered into CODIS. So that, you know, planting of Brian's DNA had to have happened before officers were summoned to that house. Where would they have gotten the DNA? Him, by his own admission, was out and about that night by himself. So nobody went up to him and, you know, rubbed his face or anything and got it, got the, got his DNA on the sheath. And that didn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you know, uh, I'll leave it at that. Let's continue. So um, Brian's garbage would have been a perfect place to get a few skin cells, which could have been placed on the sheath. But why? I mean, you, you can say that, hey, Brian's neighbor three houses down, you know, has garbage would be a perfect place to get skin cells off their sheet, you know, off their trash too. Yeah. But they, by that time they had already got his name from the DNA. By when December. So yeah. they, they got his name from the DNA before they collected his skin cells to plant. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't make sense either. <laughs> Are they time travelers? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not, that's not, that don't make sense. So um, Brian's garbage will be a perfect place. They weren't found at the Idaho lab, but were found. At, no, that's not true at all. That is 100% false. They were found and it is stated in the probable cause affidavit that the Idaho state lab detected and created the STR profile. What was said, to, what was sent to the second lab in Texas to Othram was the DNA information so that they can run an IgG on their own. Right. Because at that point, they probably still had law enforcement techniques that they had to go through before the FBI could involve their IgG protocols. Right. The, to to for them to do it. You know, it's, it's in the paperwork. It says, you know, in the defense's paperwork or in the state's paperwork that the IgG by the FBI cannot be utilized until there is no suspects. There is no other law enforcement techniques that are that can be utilized basically when you have no other option. All right. So that doesn't mean that's policy. That's not, that's not law. It doesn't mean that Othram or private lab can't do it themselves. And that doesn't mean that, you know, the FBI cannot violate their own policy and that would somehow affect Brian Koberger's um, deal here, his trial. It's not illegal. It's against their policy, their work policy. All right, so. And the reason why they do that probably is because if not, then every law enforcement agency would be asking for it all the time. So they want them to do their own work first. All right, so a chain of custody would be very important. All right, so I spoke to Ms. Vargas, the defense's um, witness when it comes to the IgG. 
It's by an email what is sent to them. It's a series of numbers and and names that they go through when they get that. It's it's not a they're not getting a tea tree dish with DNA in it. A, a petri dish. I said tea tree. <laughs> I'm gonna say well, not even that, but I was gonna say. Even if they got a petri dish, some of the officers wouldn't know how to break down the DNA. Right. Take some specific, you know, highly trained scientists or, um, you know. Yeah. Or, you know. Uh, I can't hear what you're saying, man. I don't know if it's mumbling or if it's the audio. Uh, but this person says that the transfer skin cells are actually the only real evidence and should not even be put in trial. So here, here's the thing. Where, where was that? One, do they even know that that's what it was? Skin cells. I believe that I believe it was, it was called single source DNA, meaning that it wasn't mixed with anybody. Meaning if it was transferred there by somebody else, you would expect to see a mixture. Right. Also, it means that it's inside the button, right? What else do we know? We know that the button, that the sheath is facing down and the sheath is made out of leather, out of leather. Leather is usually typically waterproof. You know, I know that I got my leather boots and if I put them in the water, unless I got a hole in them, my socks stay dry. So blood and things like that wouldn't have gotten the under button of the snap as bloody as you guys would think now a lot of people have been commenting that that thing should have been covered in dna and blood and this and that if it was under the body and 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 the pca doesn't say that it wasn't it says that there was a single source of dna in the buttons of the snap not that it was it was clean or that there was no blood on it or anything like that just at that location there's some there's some transfer dna if you want to call it that now the other thing is blue how hard do you think it would be to transfer DNA inside of a button snap? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, one of the things where just to get it to slide in there, you would have to know that you actually have it on the cotton spot that you're trying to transfer it over. Right, right. I don't right. even know how they would transfer it. But if it was like a, a situation where it was a an accidental transfer, right? How how likely is is, is transfer DNA going to get inside the button snap? Like like that that takes somebody touching it inside the yeah. button snap. Now, if it was on the outside of a door, on the handle, something that is, uh, um, you know, accessible through, uh, you know, everyday touching, like you can rub. You know, uh, uh, your your pants, even if it was like a, on a pair of pants or something like and there's DNA on the outside of the pants, you can you can pass by somebody and get DNA. It's not that it's inside the button snap. Huh. You know. Yeah, it's a crazy spot to try to plant. It. Right. And, and if you're going to plant evidence, like why not? Why not plant like hair or, or sweat or or something else? Blood like, you know, there, there was a uh, red stain on his pillowcase. 
probably it came back for blood came back not the victim so it was like we said it was probably a nosebleed a nosebleed or pimple yeah most likely nosebleed about 80 percent of the time right uh so when it comes to the chain of custody being very important uh and here's the other thing when it comes to what happened at the second lab and then from there you know they ran out of suspects and then the fbi decided to come in and assist by utilizing their um, and you know techniques to complete an IgG family tree, and that's how they ended up pointing at Brian Koberger. So, chain of custody really isn't important in that. Uh, but the other thing is too, is it's it's like I said earlier, it's a futile point. It's just going in a circle. Um, you know everything that I could point out. Uh, those who could have pointed blame towards him knew all about Brian from his application, what car he drove, where he lived, a background check. And what about that would make you think that he is a prime guy for the fall guy? Like what, what you're saying here is that if they got the car that he drove and they planted that that evidence on the sheath, that what they did was. They wanted to ruin Brian Koberger's life because he applied for the police department and that the victims were collateral damage. Because everything was done to frame Koberger, the car, the DNA. Hell, they probably got somebody that matches his height and weight and has bushy eyebrows too, right? That's the theory. Uh, you know, the sad part about it, we lose all in the fact that four innocent people lost their life. Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of families out there. Yeah. No, you're right, man. You're right. And this one, this goes on to say, if Brian had done this, we wouldn't know it. There it is. It's a love affair. They love him, like sexually. Like this is an attraction. Even even the the male pro burgers. Uh, how many times? How many, how many times? eyebrows. Right. How many times have you heard somebody who's defending Koberger who happens to be a guy say, you know, he's not that bad looking? Like they're talking about his appearance in a sexual manner to determine whether or not he's an incel or not, and how how attractive he would be to the opposite sex. And I can imagine. In prison, when they when they're braiding people's hairs, they really braiding his eyebrows. All right. All right. So let's continue this. Um, Brian, okay, he would have established an alibi in advance. So because he doesn't have an alibi, he's innocent. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be mean. But this is the most logical. This is the most, I hope you guys understand this. This is the most logical argument that I have heard. All right. He would have had to, so because he didn't have an alibi, he, he, he's innocent. All right. So with his education, he didn't, he didn't use his own phone, drive his own car. There it is. There it is. Drive his own car. I knew it was going to come up somewhere there. Angel D, I know you know you're, 
You're laughing with this one. He drove his own car. All right, let's break that down. Big Blue, if Brian Koberger committed this crime, and the theory is that he would have used somebody else's car, what is one one way of doing that? Where would he get the other car? I mean, it's either, you know, at that time, the only options we'd have is rent one, borrow one from a friend, or use the Toro app. All right, so let's go with the rent one. That leaves a paper trail. You don't think that law enforcement would have gone to the rental companies, the rental cars, and say, hey, you have any white Elantras in stock? And, and not just there, not just in the area. They're going to call Enterprise and ask them if they have, you know, white Elantras in the area with their GPS thing that's going on. All right. They're going to ask rent a car, those things. They're going to get warrants for those things. Now, because he didn't rent the vehicle, those warrants aren't accessible to us or aren't out there because they're not going to be used against him in court because he didn't rent a vehicle. All right. the, the next one you said is borrow it. All right. So Brian Koberger lived there for a few months, like three, right? From out of town, kind of a loner, supposedly. Dad had to ask people to be his friends. You know, he, he would have had to have like... Like, who is he borrowing the car from? Probably people that he's associated or close with most. Probably people that he's either works with or goes to school. Since he's a TA, it's probably the same. And those people are in criminal justice and want to be in law enforcement one day. Are those people that you think you can rent a vehicle from, Blue, and they're not going to tell on you? No, definitely. <laughs> right. So, like, the disclaimer says there, it's just an opinion, speculation, and some theories that are out there. 100%. He's innocent, so he's proven guilty by his peers. Right. We're just going down the theories that people say that, that, that claim he's innocent and just kind of seeing if there's any validation to it. You know, we're not, we're not going down the theories of, of anything else, so. So the last one you said, Blue, was was probably what? Stealing the car, is that right? Stealing it. Yeah, so, yeah. so stealing the car. So now, now he has to get away with two crimes, right? Freaking Dayquil. Yeah, he, he'd have to get away with two crimes. You know, the stolen vehicle and, and the murders. And the thing is, too, like, if you get pinned for one, Right. Either the stolen vehicle or the murders. You're, you, you just gave solid evidence on the other one and sealed your case. Because if let's just say let's take Brian Cooper out of this. If, you know, somebody committed this crime and there was a white launcher without a front license plate. And then you went and you um, start investigating this or whatever. And you find out that this other car was stolen. Right. A white launcher in the area. And you're not going to look and see. You know, if there's any connection between the two cases. I'm pretty sure you are if you're in law enforcement. And then, you know, if, if they catch you on one, they're like, hey, you stole this vehicle. And then, you know, week, month, two years later, or, you know, he's only there for eight weeks, 12 weeks, 11 weeks later, this crime was committed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So so you would definitely get busted if you stole it, you know, 
So stealing's out of it, borrowing's out of it, renting's out of it. Uh, you're gonna go buy another one? Well, then he owns it. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I hate, I hate when people say uh, he, he he wouldn't have driven his own car. I'm like, what other car would he have driven? Was he gonna go and rent one? Was he gonna loan one? Was he gonna steal one? What what would he have done? Man, if you were smart, like we said it last time, we've done these theories. What's that? He would have either biked or ran. But unfortunately, he chose to drive around that night. Like he admitted, his alibi is he was driving his own car that night. Yeah, yeah. And somehow, whoever framed him would have had to have known that. That he does that. I'm not sure that's in his law enforcement application. You know, because that's where they got all his information from. Maybe he's applying for overnight and say, I drive around at, you know, nighttime and I'm a good driver. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Um, You know, everything that I could point out, those who could have pointed blame towards him knew about him from his application. Oh, yeah, okay. With the education, he didn't, all right, yeah, that's right, his own car. Committed the crime, parking lot full of cars, knowing that the doors was unlocked. Well, I'm sure he didn't know that the doors were unlocked. There was about, what, 12 of the times that he was in the area at at odd hours of night. Maybe those were the times that the door was locked. And the one time it wasn't locked, unfortunately, something happened. Uh, Killed two of them by two while the second one uh, made no noise to alert the other. Uh, well, the second one made no no noise to alert the other residents, allowing them to flee or call 911. So here, here's the thing. there There's audio about 50 feet away. There's no screaming. There's no nothing that happens. There's a thud and there's whimpering. Somebody committed this crime just because there isn't evidence of like sounds and stuff doesn't mean that it's made up. I mean, are you thinking that it's made up crime? I mean, you're saying that Brian Koberger couldn't have committed this crime because there would have been noise. I mean, I want to see the evidence of other cases. Hey, you're you're you muted the wrong one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. There it is. Like echoing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't be insulting cases. anybody either. Hold on. No, no need. I mean, if somebody has a different opinion, it, it is what it is. We're just kind of walking through what these theories are, but there's no need to be insulting to anyone. Yeah, I mean, what, what I was trying to say was get back into it. Look at the other cases where. Somebody came in, committed a horrible crime, and only killed one of the family members. Nobody heard anything. Yeah. And these other people that were in the house, some of them admitted of going out the night before and, and having a few drinks. I mean, depends on how many drinks you had. You go to bed, you're out for a while. People can try to wake you up and you won't. That's why I think there was no screams. No, 
There, there were, I mean, there, if there was, yeah, it would have been backed up. Screen. Right, right. And if there was, it would have gotten picked up by the audio that was able to pick up the whimpering. I mean, if it can pick up whimpering and a thud, it would pick up screams, don't you think? And yeah, it would have. If it would pick up the whimpering, it would. You know, it's like we don't know how much they drank that night. We don't know if he covered their mouths before he stabbed them. I mean, that's all stuff you can do. If they do that to the person next to you in bed, and you feel like somebody's hitting you. Mm-hmm. But it could be, oh, man, this person kicks in their sleep. You're not going to know the difference. Yeah. Let's say, like, like punch you or hit you really hard. Well, in this scenario, we know a couple of things, right? We know that in the upstairs bedroom, when you walk in, uh, the bed, uh, from what I understand, was immediately to the left, up, up against the corner, right? And you had two, two of the girls laying down. Now... Based on what the information, I'm going to do my little psychic thing. So based on some information that no, I'm not going to say, uh, based on the fact that um, how the PCA says that where the sheath was located, you know, from when viewed from the door and how Ms. Gonzalez had described her daughter being up in the corner, you know, Scoot, uh, crouched over that tells me that their heads were facing away from the door feet towards the door and that Kaylee was on the inside and uh, Maddie was on the outside I, I, I strongly suspect that um, I think there was a blow there to probably the chest or, or back area depending on which way uh, Maddie's facing and I think that a, a you know it's very much likely you know, the coroner said that the the blow that you know um, was the fatality one was to you know to the chest area to the torso, so it's it's going to hit something vital that's going to happen quickly so that there's no screams. What are some organs that you're going to hit that's not going to that's going to happen so quickly that you, you you're not going to be able to scream? Uh, you're the medical professional, blue. If you, if somebody hits somebody with a knife in the torso. Where where are some place or in you know where are some places that no they won't scream? I mean, when you get stabbed anywhere, you're gonna you might scream. So I want to say one of the quickest things to do is you know go for the heart. You know, stop it from beating. That will stop some of you. But I, I don't know. I don't know any of the What about a lung? Yeah. What about a lung? If if a lung collapse. I mean, if the lung collapse, it depends if it's just one, they start gargling, like, like you know, right. you're suffocating. Right. And it makes a noise. Right. But you're, you're not seeing, um, you're not going to be able to hear a large, like a loud, like, ah, like scream, like belching, you know, scream if somebody's lung, one lung has collapsed. You might hear, like you said, gargling and some noises, but not a, not a full on scream, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can still, because you got to force the air out. There's still some air in your system right when it happened. Right. I don't know, man. I, I think I think if somebody you know gets hit in the lung the right way, um, you know, put it. I've seen somebody with a collapsed lung several times. You know, I, I was a first responder. 
It happens, you know, in car accidents. It happens in other type of things. I've seen somebody who's got a gunshot wound to the chest. There wasn't much talking. There wasn't much vocalization in those instances. They're, they're trying. There was coughing and blood, but there wasn't the ability to scream in my experience. All right. So, um, and he goes on to say, we all know this scenario driven by the girl who waited eight hours to port, report the crime while saying staying in the house with four massacred bodies and blood doesn't hold water. My vote is not guilty at this point, And most likely someone framed Brian Coverter. <sighs> all right. All right. Somebody framed Brian Coverter. That's what she says. I don't know. But let's get the uh, the phone line going on if anybody wants to call in. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Give me a second. If And l- let's try to give those that think that Brian Koberger was framed or have a different opinion a chance first. As long as you're not you know, disrespectful or you know, come off loud and screaming and can have an uh, adult conversation, we'll keep you on. Yeah. Come in kind of hooting and hollering and acting kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, you won't be on here long. So phone number is 210-209-9435. Let us know when you're on. So I'm thinking of some theory. I'm not going to say it, but I'll read the chat and I forgot already. I'll see if I remember hearing me. Yeah. 310, you're on the line. Hey guys, um, let me just turn my TV down real quick. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Um, yeah, I've been watching your show for a while, and also I'm a fellow Steelers fan from Pittsburgh. So yeah, go Steelers and all that. Yeah, but um, I've been listening to you guys for a while, and I think you guys have really good thoughts. And obviously, you know, you have you're an, you know you're an expert at different aspects of this. Mm-hmm. But one thing. That I, well, there are a couple things that I found curious. One of them was, you know, in the beginning, they told us there was a car that we had to watch for. But we don't, that's just the car they told us to look for. You know, we don't know if there's any connection to this at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when they were talking about the knife sheath, the thing that I found curious about that was, if I'm not mistaken, you could correct me, in the very beginning, they said they didn't find any traces of DNA on that knife, so they went to take it to another facility to have tested, right? Yeah, that was... So then with their process... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I can tell you where that was from. That was from our, um, that was from Mr. Bloom from the Airmail article. Yeah. He said that right. the they couldn't find anything. There was no match or something of that nature, right. and that it had to be sent okay. to Othram. However... He, uh, I think he was mistaken, uh, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah, because I remember hearing that report and I wasn't sure. You know, I knew I definitely heard it. And then the other thing, the other question I had was, if you have such a minuscule um, sample, like, how do you then splice it again and retest it? You know what I mean? It's not like it was, I mean, according to what they were saying, it was a very small amount underneath that little button snap um on the knife sheet so how do you do that and, and also without it being contaminated you're transporting it from 
you know, point A to point C, you know, so to me, I found that curious also. Right. Right. So, um, run that by me that last part again. What about the so, DNA? How small was? All right. So, uh, the first thing is, uh, I had a, um, a forensic medical medical forensic death investigator come on the, on the channel once and she has, yeah, a, I think I saw that, but I didn't see the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she has a master green forensics and things like that. And basically what they, what she explained to me is when you get a small amount of DNA, you, you replicate it. That's what the STR, the R means in STR is replicate. So they're able to take a small amount and duplicate it multiple times and then use those duplications to test for certain things. Okay. What, uh, and then the other thing we keep talking about, um, and I think you brought this up once, was that, um, you know, Koberger could run a six-minute mile and likes to run. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a case in L.A. where um, there was there was there was somebody who was like a manager at this restaurant, and this guy um, rode a bike, like a, just a regular old bicycle that people steal bikes in L.A. all the time. Mm-hmm. So just took this bike and was waiting for someone. And then he unalived that person. Uh, and they never found out who did it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seems like he would either running would have been easy. I think, especially when you're running a six minute mile or uh, riding a bike, because at the same time, it's kind of a nondescript thing, even in bad weather. I think you could probably get away with that. And um, I would think that someone who, supposedly is so smart would have thought to do something like that versus um and then he could discard his stuff anywhere you know on the way and no one would have been able to find out or as opposed to driving his own car right you know taking a bicycle and i mean that's that's a pretty big risk you know um if you're if you're riding a bicycle at that hour at night and you know you got to put yourself in the in the shoes of the killer right He's walking out of that house. Yeah. He sees Dylan Mortensen. You know, he doesn't know who it is. He sees a he sees somebody there. He's probably heard somebody yell. You know, he he had just came from, or the vehicle had just came from behind the police department. So he, this person knows right. exactly how far the police department is and, and the response time that would get there. He'd have to get out of there pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you're in a bicycle, you're you're dead is done. You know, you're you're even getting out. But of that what area. if what if he what if he did it like? using both so he runs to a point has the bike stayed somewhere then he runs to wherever that is and then he takes off you know what i mean i I mean i thought that could possibly work and then the last thing i'm sorry go ahead no i said that was one of my theories early too yeah uh, he could have biked and ran exactly Um, that way he can not use his car yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's just a, you know, quick logical. And then I'm, I'm just going to say one last thing, and I'm going to let you, someone else um, talk. Um, but I think the other thing that was, is curious to me, too, is that, look, you know, a lot of people believe this is a slam dunk. And if it's really, really, really a slam dunk, like, real, like we got you on camera walking in and out of the building, mm-hmm. then you would think, you know, we don't need, there's all this, you know, he's can have due process. But if somebody comes up to him and says, Brian, we have you dead to rights walking through the door and leaving. And we know where your car was. 
like all this, you know, they said it may be 2025 and everything. It's like all that stuff is out the window. If they have you like that, then you have to believe that, um, that, uh, that, you know, we're always talking about, there's all this other evidence and, you know, all the terabytes of information and everything, but I don't know. You know what I mean? For me, like, I, I, honestly, I am not a hundred percent like, Oh, he didn't do it. And I'm not a hundred percent that he did. Right. You know, I'm one of those people where I'm a wait and see kind of person where I want to hear more and see more. I listen to people like you and, and some of the other channels who have an expertise on analyzing things. Mm-hmm. And then I make my decision from there. 100%, 100%. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, being undecided or wanting to see everything. That's kind of where, you know, majority of people should be at. You know, I, I, I think that because of everything that's out there, that it's most likely him. Um, I can never, I, I, until he's convicted, I'm not going to say that it is 100% him. I've not, I've never right. 100% said it was him, but I do got a question yeah. for you. So, um, sure. you know, we're talking about the evidence and the tactics and this, that, and the third. Um, yeah. If, if, if you had committed this crime and you had been arrested for this yeah. and you wanted to save your life, yeah. um, yeah. what would you do? Would you be prepared to go to court right away or would you try to stall? Um, I mean, I would, if it was me, I would guess I would probably want to go to court right away, but at the same time, like, I don't know, this is such a crazy case, you know, and I thought about, cause I actually asked my girlfriend about this once. I said, um, what if something happened and neither one of us had an alibi? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. Like the only alibi is I was sleeping or I was playing video games or something, mm-hmm. you know, in the bedroom and something happened. And then people said, well, where were you? Oh, no. Shh. Come on, Jack. I'm sorry. So, no, but it's so for me, it's like, you know, what would you do? And I think a lot of us can't even reconstruct what we did over a day period, you know, or a few hours, like step by step. And then when you're asked those questions, I could see how someone could get. Um, you know, like get it wrong or get it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, put themselves in a bad spot. That's why they always tell you to get representation before you say anything. So for me, I would definitely need to, especially if I had no one to vouch for me, if I had no one to vouch for me, I would definitely need to, I mean, if I just told you guys, Hey man, I was playing video games for it. Well, not video games cause that you could probably track that online, but I was reading a book where I went to sleep mm-hmm. or something for during that period, people are going to have questions. They're going to say, come on, man, really? And so then what do you do? You know, you just kind of hope that, you know, the truth comes out. Right. But at the end of the day, you, you, you don't have an alibi in the eyes of the rest of the world. And when Koberger said that he was driving around, I mean, I know plenty of people who to clear their heads, you know, if they have like a motorcycle or if they have like a, you know, a, a car that they like to drive around, you know, and especially if he's kind of a loner person, mm-hmm. I could see someone doing that. So for me, to answer your question, short, long answer, because that's pretty long. It's just, I probably would want to do it right away, but I would definitely take time and a pause to try to, you know, be certain about what I'm saying, because it's easy to take whatever you say and have it used against you. Right. No, I understand that. You know, for me, I think that if you're willing to wait and stuff like that, you have nothing to lose, you know, especially if your life is on the line. 
And, um, you know, the longer this goes, the longer the stalling, maybe perhaps it's out of, uh, out of people's, you know, minds, you know, maybe perhaps the uh, more likely you can get a, a better plea, you know, in that type of situation. But you're right. You know, as far as right. somebody driving around by themselves, you know, that being a situation. But um, what do you think the, the odds are? Right. That you're going to be driving around with your phone off at the same time a murder is happening. Yeah, I thought about that. You know what? I think two things I think because this happened to me. So I thought it may have happened differently. Um, sometimes you have your phone all day. Your battery life is at like 9%. You mm-hmm. know you need to make a call. And so you just shut it down. And sometimes it'll charge up just a little bit. And sure, it's very coincidental that it happened at that period of time. But for me, I think it's, it's entirely possible that the person shut their phone off to save battery life in case they need to make a call or something like that, as opposed to it just being like, oh, it's just, I just shut it off. Right. Now, um, now if he's telling the truth. Right. If he's telling the truth. Right. Let's say he is. Uh, what, what are the chances... That the person outside of him just happened. Okay, so he has his phone off. You know, do you think the chances increase or decrease when it comes to what's the likelihood that the person that is committing this crime also drives a white Elantra, also without a front license plate? Okay, so that, okay, so originally I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm from Pittsburgh, uh-huh. right? So immediately when everybody was saying, oh, what's going on? This is like nefarious. Why doesn't he have a license plate? It's like, well, none of us have license plates on the front in Pittsburgh, right? That's just not how we don't have to do that based on our laws. But I will say this, that, you know, what was the the account? There's 22,000 of these cars Mm -hmm. that are rolling around. And so um, the only reason why we even care about this car is because someone told us a long time ago that they saw a video they had a video and a screenshot of a car that was speeding down the way around that time. And after that, that car became important to us. Right, right. Now, here's the thing I thought about, right? So let's just say that the his alibi checks out. His alibi could actually exonerate him about driving around. If he's driving around at the time that this crime was committed, that's why for me, I think the police made a mistake in having such a short window uh, well, well, there's 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 uh, more to the window. There's more to the window. So so we have. Okay. L- l- let's start off there. Let's go backwards. Let's, let's start off there. Yeah, you have twenty two thousand yeah. white Elantras in the area, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of those, how many of those you know, are, are registered to men? Right. Out of those that are registered to men, how many of those are six foot tall or taller with, you know, his athletic built at the time? He's gotten a little bit thicker since. And, you know, bushy okay. eyebrows, curly hair. Or they didn't see his hair, but right. bushy eyebrows. You know, out of those, right. how many of those were out and about that night? Right. And out of those right. that were out and about that night, how many of them had their phone off? And out of all them right. that had their phone off, how many of them had their DNA inside the real killer's car? I mean, you know, when you put it in those terms, I mean, it seems pretty damning, I will admit. Yeah. Um, But I will say this, though, again, my main contention was that the idea that that car is important only became important because that's what they told us you know what i mean like essentially i don't care about like how he drives around 
what I care about is he's walking up those stairs or walking through that door or walking in the back through that back uh, door. I care about that. So, um, but the, but the, but again, I think the thing that does bother me is that, I mean, I, you know, and I, I would actually ask you this. Mm-hmm. Everyone says, Oh, it's, e-, you know, it's, it's easy to do it in this time window. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that the one mistake for me that I think the police may have made was to have such a short time window that I think it took, if he did it, I think it took longer than that. I don't believe he just came to wah, 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 like a ninja and just like took out all these poor, you know, uh, young people. I think, I think it would take there's, longer time if he did it. There's a documented attack in, I want to say, I want to say it's, it's, it's the one that he guy attacked everybody with a machete in some Christmas um, venue where they were selling stuff. I think within a minute and a half, he hit 13 people. Wow. A minute and a half. That's crazy. And, That's crazy. And I those mean, people are alert. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I, I think the only other thing, too, is when that coroner was sitting down there, she said, she hadn't seen so much brutality in her career or something like that. Right. And I'm like, that means that it wasn't just like slice. It means that one of them really got messed up. At least one of them got really messed up to where she hadn't seen anything like that. And so for me, that means that took time. And it also means that there was some personal like attachment to that. You know what I mean? Maybe. I mean, personal. Go ahead, Blue. Well, she she's a small town coroner. She was like a she was kind of voted into it, and she didn't look like sure. she was confident in what she was what she was supposed yeah. to say or not say. I want to say yeah, I, I, one I, I, of the I, inner I, city corners would say, or like the one from SA. But there's some brutal attacks here. I mean, yeah. There's no, documented I, people yeah, I, burning bodies in barbecue pits, well, and they crazy. still identify the bodies here in SA. Right. But anyway, I, like I said, I won't take up too much of your time. I'm sure other people want to call in. But um, one last question. Do we have a quarterback or don't we? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I hope so, man. Um, I'm skeptical yeah. about KPA, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that the Roonies and, and Mike Tomlin and the other players on the team have shown a lot of it, uh, interest in, in Mason Rudolph and, you know, I yeah. I think he'd probably be the best free agent that you're going to get in the market just because, you know, if you bring in somebody else, you got to pay them as if they're going to start. Yeah. And if you're going to pay them that much, yeah, yeah I think yeah. that Mason's going to be system. small. Yeah. 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 It sucks for me because like, you know, Pickett went to my school. So it's like, I'm really like, I was really rooting for him. I thought it was cool and everything, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm I hoping. don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm 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 not against him or anything like that. I hope he can turn it around if he ends up being the guy. But um, we'll yeah. see. It's to be a big off season. But I I appreciate your call, my man. Um, if you if you're not in tune to Steel Curtain Network or State of the Steelers, I, I'm on there as well. Uh, go check it out. I will definitely. Yeah, I will definitely check it out because you know, I mean, like being from Pittsburgh, we you know, black and gold is all we're about. So I appreciate you. One hundred percent, my man. You have a good one. Thanks, you too. Okay. Have a good day. So that was a good caller, man. That was a good caller. You know, I think yeah, that I think that he had some good points, you know, and um, 
and we have another call coming in. I'm going to answer it, but I do remember what I was going to say. What were you going to say, Big Boo? So I just read a report that I think it was one of the ring cameras, you know, the one of the UFOs or whatever, the ones that talk to the, the media decided to, I guess, not automatically give criminal footage to the police. Wait, 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 wait what? So if they can be used on a, to identify a criminal, they're not just going to automatically give them to them. Or, oh, okay. That they're going to have to get subpoenas and all this and other this stuff. And this is for what? My green? I think the ring. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the right thing to do. I mean, everything is like that. Like if somebody books a, a hotel or something like that, you know, you can't just go into the hotel and say, hey, we saw somebody walk in here. We want a list of everybody that's on your, you know, in your in your lobby, you know, give us their names and numbers and we're going to run background checks on everybody. That's not legal. You know what I mean? So I do think that there is, uh, you know, something to that. I wouldn't I'm, I'm surprised that that's not something that isn't already a thing you know what i mean so yeah, without a warrant it just came out i think yesterday today i was watching the news. yeah 848 you're on the air what's going on who are we speaking with what's up man my name is ty from jersey how's it going my man hey how y'all doing doing good doing good just a, another day in paradise yeah i hear that i um Listen, I was I was listening, um, listening to the other caller. I caught the kind of caught the second half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening earlier when you was doing um, reading. I forget. I, I was reading what the person had wrote. Yeah, and stuff. And uh, I'm on a. I'm I'm kind of like on the the Brian is innocent train only because like I have we haven't heard everything yet. So obviously, what, what we have now, I can't just. If I'm a juror, I can't put him in jail. But that doesn't mean that he's not guilty. Right. You know what I mean? I'm just saying that from what we have now, me personally just can't put him in jail because I just have more questions than we have answers. And, like, the the the, the main question I have right now is, is regarding the PCA when I was looking over it yesterday is where it's like they was giving Dylan's statement. And Dylan's statement said that you know, she peeked her head out once, twice, the third time she seen a man clad in black walking to her. And when I looked at the, the pictures of the house at the inside, if he's walking towards her and then goes to the sliding door, I mean, he would have to be coming from the direction of Xana and Ethan's room. Mm-hmm. So if he's coming that way, then in my opinion, he would see her poking her head out. Because obviously she claims she's seen him. Mm-hmm. to bake out his face to see a bushy eyebrows. The only question I have at that point is why didn't she end up another victim? And I'm, I'm, I'm thank, thankfully she didn't, but right. that's a genuine question I have is that why didn't she end up another victim? Um, because if I'm the killer, I'm putting myself in the killer's shoes and I just killed all them people. And now I potentially have somebody who can ID me then unfortunately for that person, then they have to go too. Right. you know, isn't, isn't that, isn't that like kind of smart thinking in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I think that if, 
I think that if he had found her right before anything else had occurred. So here's what I had heard. And, you know, I've spoken with um, Kaylee's mom and, and they also kind of somewhat confirmed what I've heard um, that at one point Dylan yelled out like to be quiet or something like that. And if Brian Koberger or whoever's committing this crime is in the process of, you know, taking somebody's life in that moment, you know, they're focusing in tunnel vision. If they hear somebody yell, I mean, if I'm playing video games and my wife yells at me, I'm going to miss the first three, four words that she said. I'm going to be like, wait, what? You know, I'm not going to understand what she said. So, um, and she can attest it's happened multiple times. And, um, you know, I, I think that the same thing could be done there. Now, if you look at the positioning of where Dylan's bedroom is, you know, it's right across the, uh, the opening of the kitchen and right next to the uh, stairway. I think that, and also it's not visible from anywhere where you can park and see the house, right? You can't, um, you can't see that that's the bedroom door. Like you can't see in through the back sliding glass door from anywhere you can park and see that that's a bedroom. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I think that especially at night, I think it's possible that he may have thought that was a pantry or, or a closet and kind of just pass by it the first time, pass by it the second time. And when he heard somebody yell, he may not have known where it was coming from. He hadn't even checked the first floor yet. So I think in his mind, also, he had just came from behind the police department. You know, he had passed by in um, 700 block of Indian Hills Drive, which is right behind the police department where you can park and see them at 326. And I think he was there at 328. So he has two minutes. You know, if somebody comes from the police department to get to his, you know, get to that house, if they're driving whatever speed he was driving, if they're driving, you know, a little bit faster, you're probably looking at a minute and a half. So I think in that moment, when he heard somebody, he made the decision to get out of there. And, you know, he had a mask on, you know, he had dark clothes on. The only thing that she was able to see was his eyes and eyebrows. So it's not really like a, a you know, a heightened weight kind of. So it's not really the greatest description. You can't convict him off of it. You can't exclude him either. You can't say it wasn't him. You know, you can't, you know, Dylan said that the guy was five foot five and 330 pounds. And obviously it's not him. So um, that's where that I mean, kind of falls in. I, I, and yeah. And, and, and I understand that. Um, I mean, the description, I feel like can be as, as well be, debated in court i mean mm -hmm. it all depends on her mindset at that night i mean obviously if it's proven that she had something to drink or been drinking or intoxicated in some type of way then that description can be questioned because who knows at that point if you're intoxicated you could be seeing double you don't know what you're seeing at that point depending yeah, on how fair. much she had yeah that's so fair. um we 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 you know we have to wait till trial if she takes the stand or whatnot to, to even see where that goes. Um, my second thing with that whole night is that I, I always questioned it because the PCA for me is 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 good, but then it's also kind of vague in a sense mm -hmm. where it, it doesn't really give me everything I want. Like I, I wanted to know everybody whereabouts that night i wanted to know like where dylan was they never gave us where dylan was um bethany whereabouts i'm assuming that she was at the party with mm -hmm. ethan and xana i mean because that's what they claim or that's what they say um and then 
It's just I all I always had a theory about because I remember in the beginning they were saying that Zen and Ethan's time was unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. Like five hours or something was missing. And I always I remember her dad actually said that he spoke to her and she then it claimed she was home. Um, with Ethan. So I don't know how true that is. I mean, that's what the dad said. But it's it's I always had a theory where it's like I don't know, I wanna know what you feel about it. Like, is it a possibility that Zan and Ethan could have been unalived or harmed before Kaylee and Maddie got home? I mean, it's I don't think so because Maddie and Kaylee got home and Xana was on her phone up until four something in the morning. So I can assume that based on the downloads of their phone, that there's probably some, they're probably going to tell that there was some sort of interaction there or, or not. Um, you know, I, I really do think that this crime happened, you know, between the hours that they said, you know, you have a white Elantra regard or a white vehicle, regardless of, of who's driving that vehicle or not. There's a white vehicle that is driving around very suspiciously at four o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, a DoorDash order is dropped off. Now, after that DoorDash order is dropped off is when the vehicle starts to act erratic. So I can assume that basically uh, I'm making the assumption that because of the way the street was named, so it was facing Queen Road, but it was named King Road. But that's probably confusing mm-hmm. to the DoorDashers. So she probably left a light on uh, to identify which house was the one with that, that ordered the food. My assumption is once that food had arrived, that that indicator was turned off, which is at four o'clock, which is at 405 when the white vehicle pulls in. It then at that point starts to do this weird turnaround. Right. And then it comes mm-hmm. back and then it fails to park and then do another turnaround in front of the house. So, so whoever is driving that vehicle is already making mm-hmm. mistakes. They're already you can tell that the um, the nerves are getting to them. You can tell that mm-hmm. this situation has just gotten real. They then go do a three-point turn, go all the way back around the apartment complex and park behind it. And so, you know, to me, I think now, that... The, oh, the, the, no, I'm about to cut you off. Now, with that, though, that was I'm glad you brought that up because my next question was, we never got the what kind of car the DoorDash driver was driving. I mean, and we didn't. I used to drop, huh? I mean, we didn't, but that doesn't mean that the we cops didn't. don't know. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean. I, I mean, obviously, I feel like they know, but mm-hmm. well, I hope they would know. But the public doesn't know. And, and what I'm getting at is that I used to drive for Dorda. Mm-hmm. Now, the description of the, the the car that they were saying, everything that the car was doing, that sounds like something a a, a a driver who was lost would do: turn around, attempt to park in front of the house. Maybe the house lights wasn't on. We don't know. We can assume they was. We can assume they wasn't. Yeah. If the, if I don't know where I'm going, that king and queen is is so confusing. And then it, isn't that block like a one way? So you have to turn. If you miss your your, your destination, you got to go up, then come back around. It seemed like, in my opinion, that seemed like an action the DoorDash driver would do because it seemed like the DoorDash driver and allegedly the killer kind of got there around the same time. And mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy that they didn't run into each other. So we, as far as we know, they did. But it's, it's, it's the way they describe it in the PCA, if I'm reading it for the first time, you would have thought that the killer and the door dodge driver was the same person because of the timing. 
Obviously, right. we know they wasn't, but you know what I'm saying? you If you didn't know nothing about this case, that would be your first thought. Right. I don't I don't I don't see that being something that, you know, would be looked into. Uh, but we do know mm-hmm. that the 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 door dasher has had came forward and identified who they were and, and probably identified which mm-hmm. vehicle was theirs. And if, if that ended up being like a black Chevy cruise or something like that, then um, then the white Elantra looks even more suspicious. And we also got to we also know that where that Linda Lane camera is that is capturing all this moment movement is about mm-hmm. 105 yards away from the victim's house. So it's like a block away. You know, I understand being kind of confused in the in the vicinity, but being off by 100 by a football field is is the other thing that kind of puzzles me on that one. But um I, I appreciate you my man. Uh thank you so much for jumping mm-hmm. on. We're going to take a couple of more calls. Um thank you. No problem. Very good constructive Thank conversation. You Thank you. Be careful out there with that cold weather. Oh yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, have a nice one. <laughs> you too, my man. Too, Take it easy. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, the phone lines are gonna be back open. Anybody can, we're gonna do this probably another 15, 20 minutes and then yeah. we'll be calling. I got about another five in me and I gotta get ready. Sounds good, big blue. It's raining tonight. Traffic's in the horrible like always. Oh yeah, dude. You gotta be safe. You gotta be safe. Um, yeah, you know, he had a lot of good points and good things to say, you know, when it comes to this case and when it comes to what we know from what Dylan has said or didn't say, we only know a few things and it's what's ever in the probable cause affidavit, right? We're not privileged to all the information yet. And even when it comes down to trial, we're probably still not going to know everything because not every aspect of the investigation is going to come forth in trial. Like for instance, if they were to have thought that, and I'm going to make up a name here that somebody named, you know, Phil Collins and not the singer, but somebody named Phil Collins was the actual guy. And they went, investigated him and come to find out he had nothing to do with it. He had an alibi. He was out of state and there's nothing to it. We're never going to hear anything about that. We're never going to know about that. It's not going to come out in trial. It doesn't exclude Koberger. It doesn't prove he's guilty or any of those things. So. There's going to be aspects of this investigation that we never know, especially when it goes and dives into the investigation of others that they may have suspected. So just be be advised and be prepared for that, because I know a lot of people are going to go, hey, we heard trial and they didn't bring up Jack Showalter or this person or that person. Why wasn't that in trial? Just just so you know, it's not going to be there. All right. um, Four, four, three. You're on the air. What's going on? Hey, this is Julie from Baltimore. How's it going? Let me turn my TV down. It's going well. Hey, I just wanted to make a couple, um, say a couple things about the last caller when he was talking about Dylan and looking out of her bedroom. It never said she poked her head out. It said she looked out her door. And mm-hmm. if you're ever in a, if you ever have a dark room and you have that door that's ajar just a little bit, you can't see what's in it as you're coming toward it. Cause I, I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> and she could easily be standing in there and he just walked past her because he had no clue that she was there. Yeah. And that's, um, that's quite possible. You know, um, I, I think that is possible that he didn't see her. Um, I do think yeah. that regardless of anything, he was startled and he left because of this, because he was startled that that would explain yeah. why he didn't go to the first floor. Yeah. Um, I also think when she, cause I had heard too, that she had hollered, you know, um, I think it was when she said she thought that Kaylee was playing with the dog. 
that she had hollered to, you know, quiet down or something. And I don't think she was playing with the dog. I think that was when they were actually, it was actually happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole thing with Xana getting DoorDash, you know, in in the PCA, it gives approximate times. It's not like at four o'clock, it was approximately this time, which could have been five after four or, well, I'm sure they know because the DoorDash driver would know the actual delivery time. But, you know, the times are all approximate. So, I mean, I think Zana and and Ethan were collateral damage. I think he may have caught a glimpse of her as he was coming down, and he had no choice but hmm. to do something. Um, um, yeah. That's possible. What's up, Big Blue? I say, remember there was that, I think it was in the PCA that somebody said that they heard Zana say they think there's somebody in the house. Maybe they investigated, yeah. you know? So what I think happened, and based on some information that I've also collected from various sources, some a lot closer to the case than you would think. But from what I heard and from what I understand and placing everything together is that the back sliding glass door was open and it was only they suspect it was only opened once. And that um, that the person did this and they think was an effort to not leave DNA behind. And. You know, if you go back and you touch, you close it, then you go back and you open it and you close it again. So if that ended up being the case, that the intruder opened the glass door and left it open, given the temperature that it was that night, I can assume that Zana would have gotten up, walked to the kitchen to see why it was cold, seen the back glass door open and said, I think someone's here. And at that point, turn around, walk back to her bedroom. And at that point, whoever the assailant is, is coming down the stairs, walks up behind her. Uh, incapacitates her, then attacks Ethan, and then finishes what he's doing with Xana, and then hears somebody yell, uh, knows it's time to go, gets up, walks towards the exit, changes his clothes, puts his clothes in a bag, gets in the vehicle, and takes off. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree, too, about Xana. I think she was the one that said, I think somebody's in the house. Yeah. Well, I Um, think that... We gotta let, let's let's figure out why. Um, why do you think that maybe Dylan may have thought that it was was Kaylee? Was it because it sounded like Kaylee, or was it because she heard a voice? Like, um, if you if you look at the layout of the house, Kaylee's bedroom is right above her bedroom. So yeah, or Ma- yeah, and our Madison's room is right. Their their bedrooms are right above them. So if they were to expect to hear somebody, it'd probably be from one of the two girls that are above them, not from the person that is down the hall, past the living room, down the other hall, past the bathroom, and in that room. And so if a voice came from the kitchen area, I mean, it's possible she may have thought that it was Kaylee's just because of how loud it was. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I had another question, too. So I was listening to somebody else earlier today, and I had never, I've read this PCA so many times, and, you know, all of a sudden the word will jump out at you. And I hadn't seen this until she mentioned it. Um, when it talks about Dylan, it says Dylan stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on mm-hmm. the southeast side of the second floor. So where did she end up? Did she end up eventually down in Bethany? And that's why when the call went out to the police, because maybe she had seen Zana, because the cops said that, you know, they identified, they later identified the body that they saw as Zana. They didn't see Ethan from the door, but they saw Zana, you know, from the hallway. Um, like 
is that why the call that went out said that they there was an unconscious in the individual? Um, um, from what I understand, you know what I'm yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, uh, from what I understand, why it was it came out as an unconscious individual was um, probably a lot of panic. You know, from what I understand is that Hunter Johnson got a call from one mm-hmm. of the girls or both of the girls. I, I, I'm not sure, but he had told. Yeah. He told the Gonzalez that he had gotten a call from the girls to go over and he got there. He um, went to their rooms to the second floor, uh, tried to get in. It was it was blocked is the term that he had used. And that and he was able to push the door open slightly enough to look into it. And he saw the scene. Right. And um, there was apparently a body that was blocking the door. And so I, I don't think that Dylan or Bethany. I think if they there's a possibility that that maybe Dylan went to the first floor in the morning or something like that. But I don't think that Dylan or Bethany ever actually checked the second floor door. And I don't think that they actually checked, you know, the third floor either. I think that they, you know, were in a panic, heard some noises. And um, with that being said, they, um, you know, called their friends to to go look because they were too scared. Yeah, I, I definitely agree they didn't check the third floor. But I just thought when I saw that, that she originally went to sleep. To me, it says, oh, she ended up somewhere else, though. Like maybe after he left, it got quiet and she thought, OK, it's safe to go out now. And maybe she decided to dart down to Bethany to get to the first floor or something and maybe saw like Xana in the hallway, you know, right. by the door. I, I remember hearing that, too, about Hunter, you know, that they had to push the door that something was blocking the door. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out eventually, hopefully. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, I pre- <laughs> but, you know, but I, I okay. go ahead. No, I was just saying, I appreciate your call. Do you have anything else? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, people talk like this PCA, this is it. This is everything. And it's just what it took to get that, that arrest warrant. A bare minimum. Nope. You know, Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure there's so much we don't know. And yeah. we won't know until, you know, much later, it sounds like now. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling yeah. in. I'm going to take a handful of more calls real quick. And yep. uh, I appreciate you, too. No problem. No problem. You have a good day. All right. You, too. I'm gonna, nine, five, four. Hello? Yes. Can you? Uh, I think I hear myself in the background. If you can mute that for me, please. Hi. How's it going? I've never called into anything, and my daughter's in the other room, so I, if she finds me doing this, she'll freak out. <laughs> but I have a couple of points I'd like you to comment on. I've got notes on my phone. Yes, and ma'am. just want to throw it, throw it there to you and hear what you have to say, okay? Okay. Okay. First of all, from the very beginning, we were told that this is a targeted, isolated attack. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what was there at the scene that convinced them that it was indeed targeted and isolated. Did they see something? Was something else left? What indication was it besides the police and the university just wanting to calm the fear in the community? Was there anything legitimate that led them to believe that this house or this person or this group of people were targeted. How did they get there? Okay, so let's answer that one first. The targeted situation 
let's go back to this. So the day, either the day that the murders happened or the day after, uh, the mayor of, of Moscow came out saying that this was uh, seemed like a, you know, crime of passion. So you have one of the victims of the four who was recently broken up and had is moving away. And this is Kaylee and Jack Decor. Jack Decor, you know, we know now or later, but the police knew then because he went and talked to them that he had seen them at the corner club the night of the incident and they were calling him at two or three in the morning. And so, you know, and obviously also the Gonsalves family said that it appeared or they alluded that it appeared that Kaylee's injuries were more severe. So that's the bare minimum that they had first day. They didn't have anything else other than that. So right there, you can kind of tell that, hey, you know what? This kind of looks like a targeted attack. You know, it's ex-boyfriend. She's moving. You know, he can't get over it. She was dating another guy not that long ago because, you know, her family said that she had gone on a date and the guy called her, you know, an inappropriate name. Uh, he knew about it. So there's all these arrows that are pointing in that direction. And then by the next day, you know, the mayor started walking that back. Now, the police and the mayor had already put it out there that it was a targeted event. And, you know, I think that at the end of the day, it still was a targeted you know, attack. I don't think that any specific victim was the target. I do think that the house was the target. But, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, uh, I think that had a lot to do with why they thought it was a target attack early on is because that's mm -hmm. what the evidence kind of pointed at. But as you do your investigation, as you start looking at things and start talking to people, start forensically downloading cell phones and going through, you know, their messages, their locations, where they were during specific times and camera footage, you can kind of start to clear up where some people are. You know, I know a lot of people were kind of questioning why certain people were cleared right away. And, you know, they could have had a very strong alibi, you know, unlike Brian. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody comes up and, you know, if if it, if somebody's saying it was Jack Showalter, right? And Jack Showalter has a video of him driving into Quarter Lane at 3.30 and that he's there and you can see him on tape at different places until 4 o'clock and Quarter Lane is an hour away. I mean, are you going to still investigate him? Not as the person that committed the crime. I mean, you might look into him if there's any reason as to if he would have hired somebody. But as the person that went in there and actually committed the crime? No, you cleared him. There's no way he can be in two places at one time. And so, you know, I think that that happened quite a bit. I mean, when you have people who didn't commit a crime, it really doesn't usually take very long to, to clear them. You know, now, yes, there are some that uh, fall through the cracks and there's been people that, you know, committed crimes that got away with it and this, that, and a third. But for the most part, and especially in today's date where technology is so advanced, law enforcement is so much more advanced than what they were just five years ago. It's less likely so, that things are going to get wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. So it turns out within a matter of days, it was not targeted and it was not a crime of passion. Is that what we're saying? Because they cleared everyone so soon? No, what I'm saying is that the person that they thought was the target and who was doing the target probably got cleared right away within the first couple okay, of weeks. Okay, so they let that go. Right. They let go of that. So it's no longer a targeted attack. Well, not, not that that was the target. Like there, for me, I think it was the house. And the reason being is, you know, if you look at everything that was going on with Koberger, and this is assuming that Koberger committed this crime, you know, he had lost every job he ever had from, to my knowledge, you know, from what's out there. Right. 
um, you know, the only time that he ever succeeded or was not so much succeeded, but the time that he was praised was a time when there was online classes, but at the same time he was being forced to resign as a security guard. Right. So he he had all these things going bad around him. You know, he was losing his job as a TA. Uh, The, he was not going to pass a background check. There's just no way he's passing a background check based on him, you know, his, his behavior and the actions that he had at WSU and being forced to resign as a security guard. There's just no way it was never going to happen. You know, he was going to have to show several years of good behavior before he'd ever be considered um, a good candidate. And so he knew those things during that same time, you know, one of his friends come out on this show talking about during the Thanksgiving break, how, they would text with each other. And this was one of his friends that used to, you know, do heroin with him. And, you know, right. he tells him that, hey, you know, I've changed my life around. I'm in criminology and I want to be a part and solve, you know, high profile crimes, you know, and if, if, if he's not going to pass a background check and he can't be in these whole high profile crimes and there's only two other roles that you can be. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, when you look at, Whoever committed this crime, if you take out, you know, Brian Cover out of it, whoever did went in there, didn't leave their DNA behind, completely, you know, took four people out in the silence of the night and left two people alive that don't even know what happened. Um, you know, and, and you just take Koberger out of it, like somebody committed that crime. Somebody did it. And I mean, I had a point to that. I, I'm kind of missing it. I'm losing it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I understand. No, you have really good points. I understand. So you yeah. just, it's a, it was an opportunity for him to act out his, you know, wildest dream. And right. he was motivated to do it because his life was going to hell. Well, that, I get and, it. and he wanted to, you know, create the, the, the high profile crime. And, and, and if you're going to create a high profile crime, you know, what are some things that have to happen? Right. You, you probably mm-hmm. need, you know, when you look at the high profile crimes in the past, the, you know, the Gabby Petitos and and, uh, you know, uh, majority right. of them, they're they're young, attractive victims. And then you look at some of the other mm-hmm. cases, there's multiple victims. So if you had young, attractive, right. multiple victims, that's going to equate to a bigger, bigger crime. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, I personally think that he just went out one night, drove around looked for the house with the largest party that were occupied by females and decided that that was the house that he was going to commit his crime to. And which is why like a a new vehicle such as Kaylee's vehicle really doesn't matter because his goal is, is mass casualty. He wants to go in there, take them out as stealthily as possible and as many as possible. So that way this crime can be as big as possible. So a new car out there like Kaylee's or Ethan's car out there wouldn't have bothered him as much as if somebody else would. And now I remember where I was going with, you know, somebody committed the perfect crime that that comes with planning that comes with, you know, being prepared and seeing that vehicle and seeing that other vehicle kind of throws a wrench into that preparation, regardless of who committed the crime. So, Mm-hmm. them being there has to be an aspect of the crime. And if, if, if them being there is an aspect of the crime, it's either they were the target or it was about mass casualty and it didn't matter who the target was. Right. But if you're this criminal mastermind who's book smart, why, and you meticulously plan this to pull off what he pulled off, why didn't he start with establishing an alibi then? I don't think he ever thought he was going to get caught. 
I mean, why if, it, if he, he if he didn't leave he? the knife sheath, if he doesn't leave the knife sheath, he doesn't. Yeah, he's not caught. He's not caught. And I think his alibi, and he even said it, he said, check my phone and its locations. Mm-hmm. And I guess he assumed because his phone was off or because his phone wasn't connected to the towers because he either had it off or on airplane mode or whatever the case may have been, that that was somehow going to, you know, exonerate him. In fact, but he knows better. He knows about GPS. He knows about casts and pings and everything. So he had to have known better. Right, which is why he turned it off. You know, he turned off his phone. And like I said, if the knife sheath isn't found, you know, and, and he doesn't leave it behind, you know, somebody committed the perfect murder and they went in there and they committed the perfect crime. And, right. you know, I, th- I think that even the most perfect crime comes with mistakes. And had he not left the knife sheath based, it would have been a lot, it probably would have been longer for them to find him. I still think they would have found him. You know, I think that his behavior at WSU was disturbing enough that somebody was eventually going to call the police department and say, Hey, this guy's acting a certain way. And he drives a white Elantra. And then the police department say, all right, you know, what's this guy's name? Brian Koberger. And they start looking at his phone. And they look at the connections to the tower and find out that his phone right. turned off and it wasn't on. And then, you know, the, the storm starts right. going, you know what I mean? That they already got on him. So it, it's just a matter right. of time. Him leaving the sheath behind just ex- expedited that time frame, in my opinion. Right. Okay. This is a little bit random, but what would you say if he, you know, he was a rapper, <laughs> he had a rap song and his rap name was K-Bar. Oh, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. Right. That would be and crazy. And his nickname is K-Barger. K-Barger. <laughs> it could be. I oh. mean, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the K-Bar thing, too, because he's missing his. You know, apparently he purchased one in April of 2022, and it's nowhere to be found. I mean, that, that's that's another thing to add on to the, the circumstantial stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so. What about the, you know, but, rap songs like the lyrics are called bars you know yeah. so his rap name was k bar because his <laughs> nickname was k barger yeah. i don't know just really random what do you what do you think about the fact that people in pennsylvania routinely and actually it's an ordinance that they separate their trash from their recyclables and they put things in bear bags as in grizzly bear Hmm. It's an ordinance because bears come and eat up their trash and then start going in homes and, you know, people are in danger. This is commonplace. So he indeed may have been separating trash, but it wasn't to hide his DNA. It was because they're required to do that for recycling and to put various, I don't know what the stipulations are, in what's called Ziploc, they're called bear bags, they're Mm -hmm. Ziploc bags. So mm-hmm. he was separating trash, not to hide his DNA, but because that's what they do there. I mean, maybe. Um, I, I, I do yeah. say, I do think you will say that you're probably right about the bears and putting things in bear bags. But the, the thing wasn't that he was separating, you know, the stuff that, you know, food and things like that, that bears would be attracted to. It was his specific trash from everybody else's. And he was putting his specific trash into small, or into plastic baggies. Um, Did they then turn around and test his trash that he was separating into exclusively his Ziploc baggies, that it was indeed all of his DNA on that trash? 
I don't know. All I know is that when well, they pulled how out, they know he was separating his trash. Well, I'm assuming that they probably did do some sort of test to determine that there was DNA on that trash. And then when they tested the other trash, which they had when they pulled in all of the trash mm-hmm. and they found no DNA of his in that trash, then, you know, one can deduce right. that he took out his trash. And that's why it's all of his DNA trashes in this baggie and none of his DNA trash, regardless of what it was, whether it was food, yeah. you know, plastic a paper, whatever, none of that ended up in his regular trash. So, I mean, I, I get what you're saying and, 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 and right. it, it, it's possible, I guess, to a certain extent. Right. But I think that there's a little bit more variables that go into it, which make it a little bit suspicious regardless. Mm-hmm. But it might not be as evident yeah. as people have taken it to be. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think I take, Frank, I think I take more. Yeah. I, I think I would take more about every, him dropping off his trash. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. I think I would, I would hold more weight in him dropping off his trash at the neighbor's house as suspicious than the baggies, like you're mentioning. I mean, it is weird. It's suspicious, but it doesn't mean he can he killed anyone. Well, how about, and I don't know why I'm stuck on the trash, but how about if he didn't do it according to the ordinances and separate it, but he didn't want to get in trouble, so he puts it in his neighbor's so that they get in trouble, not him for not separating it or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe I I just think that I know, you know, the, at the end of the day, they, they, they couldn't find his trash at his dad's house while he had been there for, let's see, that was the 27th. He got there the, about the 17th. So about 10 days, he'd been there for 10 days and yet there was nothing in the trash that was his, that had his DNA on it. So it, it does seem like at the end of the day that he was, you know, making steps mm-hmm. that if somebody were to have gone into his trash, that they wouldn't find his DNA. And possible. I'm, I'm not sure who's taking those steps. You know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Possible. Yeah. Why do you think they didn't interview BK like they do other suspects instead of like the massive SWAT operation in the middle of the night? Uh, probably because of the nature of the crime and the amount of evidence that they have against him. You know, when you have somebody that yeah. is a quadruple homicide suspect, you know, you want to get them off mm-hmm. the street as fast as possible. You know, the possibility of them committing a, a similar crime is pretty high. And so you, you're going to try to get them off as soon as possible off the street. And they did try to interview him. From what I understand, he asked a few questions and then and then lawyered up. Not really anything crazy. I think that's where, you know, the you know, he was asking about his parents and where they were and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that's where the whole. Um, you know, did somebody else get arrested? I don't think it has anything to do with the crime. I think it has to do with, you know, he drove cross country with his dad and he wanted to make sure his dad didn't get arrested for some sort of accomplice type of thing. So I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't see that statement that he made as a sign of suspicious or guilt, suspicion or guilt, to be honest with you. Right. Right. You know, it is such a heinous crime And we all, everybody, no matter who they think did or didn't do it, we all want answers and we all Mm -hmm. want some justice. And the the gag order is just not going to allow that. Um, I, we all want to (laughs) know what, what really went on. And I don't know that we are. Yeah. 
Well, we are not until probably the summer of 2025. Are we going to finally figure out what's going to happen or what's happening here? You know, uh, like I said, for those that say that they 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 don't want to, you know, say he's guilty because they believe in innocence until proven guilty and stuff like that. I don't I don't hold anything against those. It's kind of like, you know, when when I hear the, you know, ISP framed him for some reason, like that's right. That's when I'm starting to be like, come on now. You yeah, know. you couldn't possibly coordinate all of those agencies and all of that personnel to yeah. be able to pull it off, number one, and then maintain it. People yeah. just aren't that good. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 not going to happen. It's almost impossible. And so, like, you know, and the other thing, uh-huh. the other thing people need to understand, all of us, is that this isn't a one hour TV crime drama. Mm-hmm. where in between commercials, we can go from the beginning to the end of the case, and it all lines up on, on a few little points without context even. You know, this is real life. Right. There were four of them with individual lives. It was messy, and I just mean complicated. And, you know, while the evidence that they've shared surely can point to, you know, this being what happened, there's so much life in between there that's not mentioned that it's just as possible this isn't the way it lined up you know what i mean not like a tv crime show mm-hmm. no I, I get it yeah and you're right i mean that is something that is you know gets taken out of context sometimes because there is the tv shows the movies and the csis and things like that and so um yeah no for sure but I want to thank you right. so much for calling in. I'm going to answer a couple of questions on here, and then I'm going to go back and answer one more phone call uh, here All in right. a minute. Thank so you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye. A great caller. Great caller. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to pull up something real quick that I saw. It says here, ISP framed Dr. Moore, and this person laughed like, that's funny. I'm not sure you know, if, if Dr. Moore did get framed. That I don't think that that's funny. But regardless, I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say it is. Does that mean that every case in Idaho somehow now can't be solved because somebody in ISP framed somebody at one point? You know, I I get the argument that, you know, there are corrupt officers or this or that, and that you may find a corrupt officer within a certain department. But where's the involvement? You know, did this ISP officer that framed Dr. Moore did they collect the knife sheath? Probably not. Did they uh, talk to Jack DeCore and, you know, all of the other witnesses and victims? Probably not. You know, that was you know, Moscow PD's detective and FBI. You know, did, did ISP do the, um, you know, the triangulations on his phone? No, that was the FBI. So, you know, everything, like nothing came from ISP. So, I mean, it'd be one thing if you said that, hey, ISP framed Dr. Moore and that same ISP officer is the same one that is investigating this case. Right. Because if not, if that's not the case, so then what you're saying is if you have a corrupt, if you have a corrupt cop at one point at any time in one state that the entire that every case throughout that entire state cannot be tried because of this one cop somewhere in that one state. It doesn't make any sense, man. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. It just doesn't. Um, I'm going to take I'm going to take these and then I'll, I'll open up the phone lines again. Let me just answer a few of these. Says, Elaine, hold on, I'll answer this one. Give me a sec. Uh, give me one sec. You're on the air, but give me one sec. Uh, Elaine Love from uh, Love Spain came in with a six dollar super chat saying, oh, also, if you can turn down the uh, the the TV in the background. Um it says, hi from Spain. You guys are awesome and the only channel that talks sense when it comes to this case. I appreciate that, Elaine. Um, I'm glad my beard grew back. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, can you call from abroad? I think you can. It's, uh, it is a, it shows up as a, um, as a local number in Texas, but it's actually a Skype number. So I'm pretty sure you can. Jim Wheatley joins the, the crew. Thank you so much. Um, uh, how close was he by these pings and, and exactly when does this accurate FBI thingy state? So as far as the pings, it really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. They have his GPS locations. So those GPS locations are going to put him down to a, a couple of feet wherever he was at. So the 27 mile radius, this and a third, that was just to get the warrants. Once they got the warrants, then they can they can, you know, accurately put down, you know, how far he was. Or where he was exactly. Um, it says, I think people can question before making it up their mind, and we don't have enough right now. You, 100%. Jeff H says, with well, $5 super chat, I'm trying to find a good pick of the lock mechanism or claw in the sliding glass door. If it points downward, you can just lift the door and you're in. You know, the fact that they, um, from what I understand, it was, it, it sounds like it was left unlocked. Now we have, 918 on the line. How's it going, 918? It's going good. Um, my name is Leanne Lurkin. Nice to meet you, Leanne. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you. I've never called in anywhere either. But I was curious about uh, BK was so in a hurry to get back to Moscow so he could exonerate himself. And we haven't heard anything about about that really all we've heard heard them really doing is trying to pick apart the way the police ran things and i mean as far as of the defense mm-hmm. what we, do you think <laughs> yeah we, we we don't know much about you know a lot of the case and stuff like that and i think that um can you can you run that last part about me again one more time i just want to make sure i cut right. well i was saying that he was so eager he couldn't uh-huh. wait to get mm. to, yeah, uh, the, it, you know, exonerated. To be exonerated in Moscow. But we haven't heard the de- defense mention anything. You would think if he had an alibi or something that could exonerate him, he would have told it day one and been out. I wouldn't want to stay in jail. But now they just seem like they're nitpicking at the everything the police do. They're trying to find anything, little thing they can get a you know, make it get thrown out or mistrial. Right. So I just was confused about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that he, from what I understand, mm-hmm. so if, you, if the police there in, in Pennsylvania, they had a press conference and I think that they, um, they, the ones that said that he seemed very eager to get back to, to Moscow so he can see what they had on him. You know, he didn't know. Okay. Yeah. So he was, it, it really wasn't so much to, to exonerate him. Cause if you listen to what the, um, you know, his defense team says that they're hoping to find something that exonerates him through testimony okay. of the 
uh, of the witnesses. And so when you have him stalling for as long as he is, what ends up happening is that memory is a tricky thing and things like that. So he's probably hoping right. that somebody says something different or recalls something different years later, right? After the case, after the fact, and then he can come in and say, oh, that's what exonerates me right there. And so that's why this is taking so long and why it's Fine being man. it's being dragged out for so long. It's, you know, it's it's a tactic by the defense. It's, a, it's not the first time that this tactic has been used. Right. You know, but it's right. it's obviously not a tactic that's used by many people that are innocent. Exactly. Oh, one other question I have been wanting to ask for a long time. I can't remember if I emailed it, but Dylan had been, uh, you know, she's the one that saw stuff and, and got scared. Could she have been laying in like her room and just trying to rationalize? What did I just see? You know, some man, you know, and trying to rationalize and then fell asleep. All those kids had to be tired, but they had a party the night before. They had a football game that day. They had partied all night, and then they all went home. So, I mean, I I just feel bad for Dylan and Bethany. I don't – I know – please, don't, people don't come at me. That's just my opinion. I don't think they had anything to do with it. But I'm thinking about when I was their age and how if I was scared, I would just – probably put the covers over my head, have my door locked and be thinking, Oh, what should I do? What should I do? You know, do I call the police or is it my imagination? You know, especially yeah. if there had been a little drinking going on that night, it probably worn off by the time they went to bed, but I'm sure they were exhausted. Yeah. I mean, they had a big weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, we can assume that they may have been drinking. You know, you're also looking at somebody who was, I think 19 at the time, maybe 20. Uh, one of them was 19. I don't know if it was her or Bethany, but one of them's like 19, uh, fixing to turn 20. You know, this is probably the first Why? time, you know, that she's out of her parents' house, you know, outside of daddy's house, outside exactly. of the city yeah. that they grew up in. And, you know, she hasn't been there long. I mean, this this school just Why? started. So, you know, there's a lot of variables and, and pieces of context that need to go into play. But um, well, that's just. One theory I thought maybe people might ought to look at instead of always trying to blame Bethany and Dylan. <laughs> I just feel bad for those girls that they're going to have to live with that the rest of their lives, living through, you know, probably mm. survivor's guilt. But Yeah, 100%. Anyway, thanks a lot for taking my call. Thank you. I appreciate you. You have a good one. And that's going to do it for the calls yeah. here, guys. Um we're going to go to, I'm going to answer some questions here in the live chat real quick and some comments. Somebody said, uh, that's not correct. They still have nothing. What got them to BK, read the documents and listen to her speaking to the judge. You know, her speaking to the judge and saying that she doesn't know how they got there doesn't mean that the prosecution doesn't know how they got there, or that the state doesn't know how they got there or law enforcement does. And, you know, how they got to BK it's pretty obvious they went through the IgG that got them the name now you can't arrest somebody based on the IgG like you can't go get a warrant you can't even use it that's like somebody taking a lie detector test and failing the lie detector test right you can't use that so it's just a tip so at that point you know you, you have a name now you have to build a case it's like any other case that comes in by any other means a tip you know you can't just like if somebody were to come in and tell me that, hey, 
you know, this guy over here is committing a crime or he committed a crime and the evidence is in his house. I can't even take that to a judge to get a search warrant. Like that doesn't mean anything. I'd have to go and investigate the dude, watch the dude. And depending on the crime, if it's like some sort of drug crime and he's a drug dealer, you know, you're, you're going to find evidence of him dealing drugs. There's going to be people driving by, you know, at all hours of night, real quick stops. Then what do you do? You pull one of them over. You find the drugs, you get them to dime out the guy because they're scared of going to prison. You do that a couple of times and you build enough to get a warrant for the inside of the house. Get the warrant for the inside of the house. You find the drugs, you arrest this guy. And then when you go to trial, you never even bring up the guy that gave you the tip because you know what? That guy may have never even used his real name or is refusing to testify. But it doesn't matter because you don't need it. You have your investigation. You saw these people leaving and going. You pulled them over legally and you found the drugs and you pulling it back to him. It's the same thing here. They have his name. That doesn't mean they can go do anything with it. They have to put him and pin him to the crime. They have to find evidence for that. So. And the evidence that they found was once they got his name was all right. We have a warrant for all the phones that are connected to the tower closest to the victim's house. Right. Well, let's just expand that reach from a third of a mile to 10 miles and let's expand it, you know, from three or two forty five or two o'clock to five o'clock. And you'll see that his phone disconnects from the from the, the network at two forty something and it reconnects at two at four forty eight, I think. And so you have a two hour window where it didn't connect. You know, it's that's interesting. That's enough to get a warrant for his actual, you know, coordinates and his his phone locations and his and to download his phone forensically. Like you don't need a lot like you guys think to get a warrant like that. And then once you get that warrant, that's just another small piece. So then you can go and get another warrant for his, you know, his arrest or his DNA or or, or in this instance, they tried to go get his DNA. Right. He wasn't at his house. He was already in the Poconos. So they go pull the trash at his dad's house. You know, he's separating his trash and throwing it in other people's bins. So his DNA is not coming out there. But they found the dad's DNA and they were able to compare that to the DNA on the sheet and come out that the person who left the DNA on the sheet, uh, that Brian Koberger's dad was also that person's father. And, you know, so far, from what I understand, Brian Koberger is the only son of Michael Koberger, his father. And they used that to get a warrant to test his you know, they arrested him with that. And once they got him in custody, they used that familial DNA from the trash pool to test his DNA to the sheath compared directly. And that's where they came up with his name. Or that's where they came up with the, uh, uh, the that it was 100%. It was his DNA on the sheath. So it's not very hard to see how they got there. You know, if Ann Taylor really can't see it and she really doesn't know, then I think Brian Cooper got the wrong attorney. Um, his PA attorney said BK was very calm, intelligent, and wanted to be exonerated. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who say that they're innocent that are in jail for something that they did do. Now, do some people get through the cracks? Yeah. But when it comes to Brian Koberger, like I mentioned before, how many Elantras out there are there? Out of those Elantras that are out there, how many are registered to males over six, about six foot tall or taller? Bushy eyebrows out of those males. How many of them were driving around that night? Out of those that were driving around that night, how many of them had only one front license plate? 
out of those that were driving around with one front license plate with a male that was six foot taller or taller, how many of those had, you know, Brian Cooper's DNA inside it, inside the car on, on the sheath? You know, it's, it's called deduction, guys. You need to deduce things. It's, it just makes it pretty hard and damning that it's not him. Comparing Ann Taylor to Richard Allen's defense attorney's point of fact, blew the gag order, names, names, suspects, and cops who don't think Ari is guilty. That's how you petition the court. I agree. There, there, there is a difference between how this case is being operated and Richard Allen's case. And in Richard Allen's case, he has at least three lawyers that have come forward and saying that he is 100% innocent. I don't know if he's 100% innocent or not. I do think that there's a lot in that case that, you know, needs to be looked into. Elvis Fields is one guy that I think that is very suspicious. You know, but you also have all the, you know, Odinism stuff and things like that. To me, I think that 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 case on its own is more likely. And I don't think that it's a high percentage, but it's more it's a higher percentage of him not have done the crime than Brian Kovac by by miles. In my opinion, that's my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see. Um, I'll answer a few more of these. <laughs> this is true. Grunger says, uh, Ann Taylor says she cannot see how they got to him. She also says she has not gone through all the evidence. Yeah. A.T. said the state told her where to find the evidence and she's still looking for and she will, but needs more time. Yeah, that's exactly. She said that they told her where to find it. And she goes, and, and they may very well been right and true. I just haven't gone and looked. That's exactly what she said. She also said that they have so much evidence and so much witnesses, so many witnesses and so much evidence against Brian Cooper. It's going to take him over a year to go through it. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a weak case when you have that many witnesses. And that much evidence. Now, granted, the witnesses probably aren't all witnesses that saw him commit the crime. Probably very few of them that are going to attribute to that. But there's still 51 terabytes worth of evidence that's not witnesses. Usually when there's that much evidence, doesn't usually equate to little or no evidence. Doesn't usually equate to or mean or equal out to uh, a weak case. You know, usually the more evidence there is, the stronger the case is. It's just what I think, at least. Let's see. Um, what's up? The Real Micro K is here. Been here for two months. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sound like DM and BF didn't do anything. Let's see. Uh, let's see. In order to be exonerated, the defender must first be convicted and sentenced. Later on, evidence comes to light to overturn the verdict. Correct term. Esculpate. Yeah, I mean, you got me on that one. I can't even pronounce the last word. Um, but as far as like exoneration and, and not. Um, and it's interesting that he's, he did say that. And I think that the one of the legal terms is that he had to be found guilty first. And, you know, here, here's the other thing, guys. Now, I want to really I want you to really think about this. Ann Taylor said when it came to their alibi that they were in the same place as they were before. 
And during the prior court hearing, she had said that, you know, they only know what he's told them. And that's what he's told them. They can't go further than what they know. You know, and that was kind of a dig at what Bill Thompson said about what the FBI was was willing or unwilling to give up. Right. But I think it's true. And and here's the thing. If, if, if you tell your lawyers what you were doing or honest with it or you tell them that you committed the crime, most likely they're going to not be your lawyers anymore. You know, there is a code of morals that you have to go through when you're a uh, an attorney. And if he would have been honest with her, then he couldn't, she can't say, you know, things that aren't true. That's perjury, right? So if he's being directly vague about what he was doing that night with his own lawyers, why would that be? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense why he would be purposefully vague unless he was trying to not disclose what he was really doing because it would affect his representation. So everything that Ann Taylor has said, their, their golden goose egg is the IgG. That's like saying that, you know, my golden goose egg as a defense attorney for my client is a lie detector test that my client failed that isn't being used against him as evidence. And I think that somehow, some way, I'm going to get that entered into evidence and throw out the entire case based off of that. Doesn't make any sense, dude. Doesn't make any sense. Um, Bethany and Dylan are suspect, but not BK, whose DNA uh, was under the victim and driving around at night during the crime. Yeah, and and that's true, you know. Oh man, just me. I didn't know you were calling. I apologize. It doesn't say names. I would have loved to have answered your call and speak to you. Uh, I get so many at the same time. You know. Let's see. Uh, but shouldn't the defense have everything the prosecution has? That shows BK's guilt. Yes, they should. And they do. You know, what they're asking for isn't the stuff that shows BK's guilt. The IgG doesn't show that BK is guilty. The IgG doesn't say that Brian Koberger's DNA is matched perfectly to the DNA on the sheath. It's not like that. You know, it says that that's more than likely the person. But that's not evidence against him. And so evidence against him is what he gets and evidence that would uh, exonerate him is what he would get. Like, you know, uh, if they went and spoke to somebody random. Right. And that person said, hey, no, I wasn't there. I was out of town and, you know, produces a plane ticket and and a hotel room and a hotel ticket and surveillance that that's where they were. How does that say that that it wasn't Brian Koberger, if that's the case? It doesn't doesn't exclude him. It doesn't exonerate him. It doesn't say it was um, that it was him either. It doesn't say that because this guy was out of town or whatever, that Brian Cooper committed the crime. So that evidence probably wouldn't even go to the defense or even see the light of court. You know, so what the prosecution gives to the defense is the evidence that they plan on using against him. And if there's some evidence out there that exonerates him, the rest of it is is just fat that needs to be cut off. My God, this trial can start soon enough. Thank you, Daniel, for always bringing critical thinking to this case. Thank you so much, the real Kimmy. I've got my real micro K. I don't know why I called you Kimmy. <laughs> oh, man, here you go. I'm going to start naming names already. I'm calling people the wrong names. 
but thank you. I appreciate that and appreciate your $5 super chat. Thank you. Uh, fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's see. Don't forget to hit that like. Yes, please. Please. Um, at this point, BK could confess to everything he's accused of, and some people would think he was lying. I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't know anything as far as the Chris Watts case goes. I didn't cover it. I know that he was he, he pled guilt or he he confessed and pled guilty uh, to you know committing his crimes against his I believe his pregnant wife and and two children. You know, and and some people still, from what I understand, think that he's innocent based even though he's confessed to it. Now, I don't know anything about that case. I don't know what the evidence is or isn't. Uh, I think I, I think it was in Colorado is when that where that place happened or that crime happened. It was before me getting into true crime and things like that. But I do know that that case is one that a lot of people think that he was lying when he said he'd committed the crime. Uh, let's see, go through a few of these before we call it a show. There is a 16-minute gap in the timeline from when he drives out of Moscow until where his phone finally pings. Was he stashing the knife in clothes? I strongly suspect that's what he was doing. You know, he probably parked somewhere, got out, probably got out, let out whatever it was that he was holding in inside the house, probably screamed out loud, yelled, jumped, did all these things that he was holding in during during the crime. He's probably doing that, you know, in the car right there, screaming and things like that probably gets there, does that, you know, if this was some sort of sexually motivated crime, probably relieved himself there because there was no, you know, DNA or evidence of that at the crime scene and probably dug a hole and, and did hide some things. And then, um, you know, take off. He went back the next day. PCA says that he was out in that area where, where he was with his phone off for several hours the next day. So I assume that he probably went somewhere, dropped the uh, the items off in case he got pulled over somewhere, you know, on his trip back to Blaine or, or back to Pullman in the route that he took. That way he's not, you know, as suspicious. You know, if you pull up somebody and you got bloody clothes and stuff with you, it's pretty suspicious, right? So goes and puts that somewhere else, <clears throat> goes back for it the next day. So <clears throat> let's see. Yep, here it is. The defense seems to not have anything to dismiss the evidence. Dismiss the evidence, only trying to find loopholes, which isn't working. I agree. I need locked up so I can have some control over my life. Jeff comes in and so says, "You should make a YouTube short of the explanation you just gave of the IgG being a tip. Very clear and sufficient." I don't even know what that last word was, but I think it said, I think you meant sufficient, but it could be. <laughs> but if it's a real word, sorry, Jeff, uh, my vocabulary is, eh. but yeah, you know what? You're probably right. I should do um, something about that a little short. In fact, I probably cut this one out and put it out there. I also want to put out there, you know, the car, right? Everybody looks at it being 22,000 cars. And I, I want to put out a little short saying, yeah, well, out of those 22,000 cars, how many of those are registered to men? Men over six foot tall with bushy eyebrows. Yeah. Those men that were driving around late at night. Out of those men that were driving around late at night that are that tall, well, out of front lines display. 
but are those without the front license plate driving out that have Coburger's DNA in the car? You know, probably put those two together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Got booted out again. Who booted you out? What are you talking about? Uh, you can't be exonerated without being convicted of a crime first. Free to and slip. Yeah, that's possible. That is possible. You know, I think that the the fact that the attorney said that they're going to be, um, what do you call it? The, the fact that the attorney said that they're going to be doing this case or fighting this case for the next 28 years kind of tells me that he thinks that his client's probably going to get convicted as well. You know, and this was the, I don't know what his name is, uh, the attorney that's alongside Ann Taylor. Art Reese comes in with one. I thank you. Great show. Thank you, DTS, for the critical thinking. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Let's see. I'm just going to kind of scan through these. Thank you, Daisy. Daisy 73. What kind of evidence is not is all not indexed? The tips. I mean, the photos, what they're claiming is that the photos aren't there and, and other things. But he, here's the thing. I, I talked to and we had an attorney on our show who's been a defense attorney. You know, we had him on the show a couple of times. And when it comes to the evidence, he, he even said it. There's a good possibility that. You know, the defense attorney got a box full of things, nothing pointing one way or another. And it's up to you as a lawyer to figure that out. They're not going to hand you the playbook of how they're going to, you know, try your client. Like, the, 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 that's not how it works. And so, you know, them not getting indexed or told or handheld through the evidence uh, doesn't surprise me. AT was very calculated when making that statement in court, in my opinion. Which which statement? The 400 witnesses against her client, the ample amount of evidence against her client that they need time to go through. Um, what other? You know, I do know that she said that they're waiting on a crucial piece of, uh, of video surveillance. And what I think it is, and I, again, this is my opinion, is there's probably some footage there that shows a vehicle traveling uh, or the white Elantra. I'm assuming it's the white Elantra. And this is going to be my psychic thing. Let's see how, how accurate I get. Um, my assumption is that it's probably a footage of the white Elantra off of a security camera. And they only got like an hour of that footage of when they, of the footage that they're utilized or using uh, against Coburger. And what they probably want are, you know, 12 hours before or after or something. And so they're getting all that information to her. It's not going to be used against her. It's not part or him. It's not part of the crime or exonerates him. So, yeah, it is what it is. But that's what they're asking for. What came first, the car or the IgG? The IgG. I mean, by policy that the state gave put out there, the IgG came out first. They can still be your lawyer. They can't say you're. Yeah, I know that. But he's not. He's saying that he uh, that. That's what I said. You can't put him up there. You can't lie. You can't say he's innocent. You can't say that, you know, somebody else committed this crime. All right. You can't say any of those things. If, if he goes out there and says that he committed the crime now, if he's, you know, purposefully vague, and then the attorney can, you know, defend him from everything and, 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 and everything. Uh, do you think Koberger admitted to AT that he did the crimes and she's just fighting just to do her job? No, I don't think he admitted to doing the crimes um, I think that he's been purposefully vague. 
you know, just like she said, she said that, you know, it took them to the last minute for Koberger to tell her that he drives around late at night. And that was way back when they needed the alibi. And since then, until his last hearing, she said that that hasn't changed. So he has not gone into detail. He hasn't said anything about where exactly he went. And if he's not willing to tell his lawyer that, you know, I wonder why. Let's see. Either he did it or he didn't. And everyone involved in the trial should have access to the evidence and make up their own minds. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Um, they do have everything the prosecution has. AT said that at the last hearing, she said that they have so much they haven't gone through and that there was some stuff that they were waiting on. But the stuff that they're waiting on or the stuff that they've asked for in discovery have been things like the IgG, which ain't being used against them and stuff like that. And names of of those in the IgG. So it, it is what it is. Um, it's OK, Daniel, we understand you mean well and we want to talk all about us, but so many chatting and calling. And only you. Yeah. Yeah. Today it was only me. Uh, Big Blue is going to be going uh, to school um, here in the next not so distant future. So he's probably going to be on less and less. And, and Haim is having a schedule conflict as well. And so um, it might just be me, a lot of it, uh, me and Big Blue uh, from here forward. Just kind of heads up on that. Let's see. All right. So if Koberger was found to be indigent based on the Idaho Constitution and 6A right to counsel, since she's one of the only DP qualified attorneys in Idaho, I'll just drop it. Um, I don't think she's the only one that's DP qualified in the entire state of Idaho. I think she's just probably like the closest one. Transparency says hysterical. I mean, some of the things that I've heard have been hysterical. You're right. Um, let's see. <laughs> Probably not recommended to go. I don't know anything about it. I honestly don't. I know nothing about it. Hey, what's going on, Steve? What's up to True Crime Web? What's going on? We got to get you back on, man, so we can kind of talk about the process uh, that goes on when it comes to, um, you know, uh, CSI um, getting and, and recovering evidence, you know, what type of packaging does it go into? Where does it get sent to? You know, what does the lab do once it gets there? How is it secured? Things like that. We got to get you back on, my man. Let's see. Um, because he's so smart that he's dumb. You know, the thing is, there's a difference between being smart and being perfect, right? You can be very smart. You can have everything planned out. And you can be trained, you know, do everything you can to train yourself. But, you know, especially if this was his first time, um, you know, mistakes are bound to happen, especially your first time. And you can tell the way he was driving after four o'clock that, you know, he was getting a little nervous and mistakes were already starting to be made. So, you know, you look at a guy like BTK who had committed several home invasions and, and murders. And at one point, more experienced than what Brian Koberger is also in law enforcement. Uh, he left his gun behind a big part of the, uh, you know, this kit that he used to control, manipulate his victims. 
and you left that behind. So just because somebody's smart doesn't mean that they can't make mistakes. Yeah, I like to think that I'm smart and I've made myself a shit ton of mistakes. Excuse my language, but it's true. Let's see. Uh, you think BK figured get away with the crime. Great. Get caught. Catherine Ramsland writes a book. Yeah. 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 It's probably there. That's probably what's it. You know, I don't know. But that's I'm caught up now. I want to say thank you guys for joining in. Thank you, everybody that donated, everybody that is stuck in, everybody that subscribed. You know, whether you're you think um, Koberger is guilty or you think he's innocent or you want to wait until trial comes nothing wrong with that. And you have your right to to of your opinion and, you know, just don't belittle anybody else. I I try not to do that myself. I know sometimes I catch myself being a little uh, too forward, you know, but for the most part, you know, let's just, we all want the same thing, right? We all want justice in this case. And, here, I, I like to think that we're going to put some critical thinking and logic into everything and try to come up with a reasonable answer. But I uh, I appreciate everybody and 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 pumpkin saying still reasonable doubt. Yeah, I mean, we don't know everything, you know, that I, you know, today, based on the information that I have, if I was a juror. I'd probably say he is guilty. But, you know, I would need more to be. I wouldn't be surprised if more people on the jury needed more information based on what we know. And I wouldn't hold it against them for needing more information. Right. You know, to me, it kind of boils down to the car DNA and his phone being off and all those things just seem too coincidental. Right. Now in trial, if something comes up that changes that in my mind, if Ann Taylor finds a, a smoking gun, maybe a, a picture of Brian Koberger in a different location at the time that the murders were com- being you know committed, we got to, you know, rethink our, our thoughts there. But uh, I appreciate everybody. Angel D comes in with a two dollar super chat says, no, <laughs> you're trying to mess with my dyslexia. It says Poe buddies nerfed. <laughs> it almost got me. You know, one of my buddies got me like that not too long ago. Um, one of my buddies. Let's see. Let's see if he can catch my super hat. I want to make sure I didn't catch it. Miss anything. All right. Um. It is Kimmy. What? I got it right. I got it right. I got it right. You know, like I said, sometimes I do think and wonder, maybe I am psychic. And that's all I got for you guys today. I'll leave it with that. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll be back on uh, probably more frequently, guys. Uh, I think you're going to see me on here um, pretty often, you know, whether I'm doing lives or videos or, or, or shorts. Um, I'm really going to go you know, harden the paint. And, um, as my buddy, Mark Davison says, and really try to push out as much as I possibly can and, and, and interview as many people as I can and talk about as many topics as I can. Uh, but I appreciate everybody. Y'all have a great night and a great weekend. Be safe y'all. Peace.